Doing well, Tony. I'm uh, yeah, really looking forward to this episode. Been preparing for it, so yeah, doing good. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it certainly is. Of course, this episode is special because it is our final episode of the year, and it of course is basically dedicated to the best of Imprint 2023. And <laughs> I'll mention this in a second, but first of all, it's interesting. We usually have our regular colleague Ryan Kendall joining us, but unfortunately, he's not available today of course house moving can be a bit of a nightmare which we which we get but we have three very special guests which i am proud and honored to call part of the imprint cast family first up is the lovely suzanne suzanne how are you doing and thank you for joining in hello thanks for having me back another year has flown by um, lots of releases to review and look back on so it's great to be here to talk about them again. Oh, that's for sure. We've got a lot to talk about. And of course, another colleague of ours, Mr. Paul Berryman. Paul, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, like Suzanne said, it's been another year has flown by and um, so many releases. It's great to look back and reflect on them. Absolutely. And last but not least, um, this gentleman has been on our show before discussing The Warriors. It has been quite a while since we've recorded that episode, but it's great to have him back. And he also brought to our attention that Imprint have released 100 individual titles this year. No wonder it was a hard decision. No wonder it was a hard struggle to get to this thing. And um, please welcome to the episode, Mr. Tim Lego. Tim, thank you so much for joining in and great to have you back. Thanks for having me. It's been um, a very excellent year from Imprint. Um, I've somehow watched all the films that we'll be discussing, so I'm prepared. It has been too long um, and glad to be back. It has been too long. We have to have you back on more frequently, for sure. Can't, can't say how grateful we are to, for you to, have, to be on here. Now, as we mentioned, this is the episode for discussing the best of Imprint 2023. And we will be discussing quite a few topics of this, including top three cover art, top three special features, top three commentaries, top three video essays, top three box sets, and we'll have some honorable mentions. And of course, each of our favorite top three imprint releases for the year. So it's a big one. So let's, we may as well get started. So, um, well, ladies first, of course. I'm Suzanne. Would you like to get us started on your top three cover art? Sure. So it was kind of um, interesting this year because I noticed they were using a lot of original poster art for the covers. So that can make it a bit tricky because I'm really judging the poster art. So I've gone with some that I think are presented particularly nicely. First, there was a couple that I thought really used the poster art to great effect, which was Burn and The Bounty, both of which have amazing cover art. 
Byrne, of course, features the original Italian poster art. The Bounty has an amazing artwork originally featured on the British and American posters. Um, I just thought in that box set format, they were very striking. And then uh, secondly, the Tales of Adventure Volume 1 box set. And I really loved this collage of the original poster art and images. It's designed beautifully, great use of vibrant colour and the pointed Islamic arch. I think it really communicates what these films and this box set is all about. There's very decadent, dazzling, colourful films. So that was my number two. But my number one was Haunting of Julia. I just thought the presentation on this one was so amazing. I'm a sucker for the lenticular cover. It's a real novelty. <laughs> um, and in this instance, I think it works really well with the poster art of the ghost child. It's just a stunner. And it really stands out on the shelf, both in shops, but also on my own shelf where it's displayed. Great choices, absolutely. Tim, how about you? What are your top three cover art? Okay, so um, number three is Cross of Iron. I love the image that they've put on the hard box. And inside, obviously, you get two more covers and you get the original poster art, which I've always liked. And this uh, on the Grindhouse version, which is a fantastic uh, image that I hadn't seen before. So the Cross of Iron set is uh, excellent. And then at number two, I've gone for um, the lenticular cover on The Haunting of Julia as well. Absolutely um, fantastic looking image. And the image of Mia Farrow in the back is stunning as well. So really perfect packaging for that release. And uh, just to be boring, got another Peck and Par hard box uh, at number one. The Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia uh, packaging is excellent i love the cover image which i don't know if it's new i haven't seen that before they've got a variant on the poster art uh which i love so um in on the first disc and the second one's obviously the extra feature the passion and poetry so they're my top three two peck and pars and <laughs> something that's not a peck and par oh believe me they're great choice <laughs> especially those peck and par ones Fantastic. Okay, uh, Paul, how about you? What are your top three cover arts? Yeah, um, so for number three, um, I've gone with uh, Bad News Bears Go to Japan, a release which I'm glad has come out on Mimprint since they did the previous two films. Um, I particularly like the hand-drawn style of it. It's not kind of like a generic modern poster, photoshopped, anything like that. It's hand-drawn, um, it's really colourful, and it just sells the kind of zaniness of the film, kind of the, the comedic antics that are throughout. Um, so, yeah, I particularly like that one for number three. For number two, I've gone with the um, the inside uh, slick of Fear is the Key, a very like contrasty poster. It kind of sells the film, um, almost sells it in a spoiler, um, but once you have seen the film and you realise what this image is a play on on the cover, um, it, it really makes a lot of sense. And there's also some nice little details in, in there. I'm not sure if it's a, a poster that was used for the film at the time but if it was it's it's really really impressive so yeah i was very impressed with that one 
And for number one uh, on cover art, I've gone with The Mad Room, the slip on that. I remember when this was first announced and I saw this cover on the website, um, I was just like, absolutely striking cover art the use of color on this is superb it definitely sells the film and again it's like a hand-drawn art style which is just something that i really like so yeah that's my um number one cover art for 2023 oh that cover art was beautiful that was definitely in that was a close call for me as well but now i'll mention my top three cover arts and i'm with you paul my top three is number three is the slave for fear is the key. That is, this cut, this image itself is just fantastic. So it looks beautiful, but it makes it look like some kind of a Jalo movie, which is obviously it isn't. But if you've seen the movie, you know what it is. But it is so good. I absolutely adore this cover. Don't get me wrong, the slip is good too, but this one I think was more effective. At number two, this looks like it's going to be a popular one. Number two, I have chosen the lenticular. Haunting of Julia. Can't go wrong with this beautiful cover art. It is stunning. And the effect of this lenticular artwork is just superb. Absolutely adore it. And number one, it's a peck and par. And number one is Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. When I saw this cover art, when the announcements came up for imprint, I was blown away. It, it, it really sh- struck something with me. And I just absolutely adore this cover art it looks beautiful and looks very disturbing at the same time so yeah that's my top three cover arts for the year um now john how about your top three cover arts yeah so it was it was very tough because they had some pretty amazing covers this year on box set individual sleeves so to narrow down a few and i'm seeing a lot of crossover these are ones i would have picked as well especially the peck and pars but i narrowed it down to um to number three uh same as paul this uh the mad room really stood out to me um once again just a really striking image and when you see it on the really glossy slip it really stands out on the shelf and once again great film so it kind of suits the film as well but there's a, if, you, if you don't know the film it's a bit of mystery like what is this a dog there's like you know um you know presumably some sort of uh something on the ground there a body um but yeah really colorful beautiful beautiful piece of poster art on the mad room so that was um number three for me uh number two this image just really stood out to me and i once again love the film because it's a really great classic uh horror film at the time and that's the Catman of paris um this is just a really striking image of beautiful poster artwork being made use of appropriately because um you know love universal horrors and, and, and horrors of the 40s and 30s of this time so um just getting an image like this is, is really stunning and look even the inside sleeve is very nice as well um bit of a, a redo on on a take of classic art but yeah this sleeve is just striking to me and uh kind of says it all like classic uh classic monster goodness for number one very tough there were so many choices but <laughs> we're going to see some crossover here haunting of julia is, is number one for me just because once again the lenticular image is is really stunning and, and it suits the film because it's a very haunting sad film and and this sort of ghostly image uh, really stands out and i'm a sucker for lenticulars as well it's good to see some lenticulars on imprint products. They do a lot more in Vivision stuff, so it'll be good to see more in imprint. Hopefully next year, we'll see how we go. Um, sorry, in the next year, but uh, yeah, this is the um, the beautiful uh, piece of art there. And also, look, uh, you know, a bit of a shout out to the full circle poster artwork as well on the inside. Yeah, that's the original title of the film, and that's a really beautiful image there. 
um, with Mia Farrow kind of looking out. So yeah, that's my top three. Very tough because there was some amazing, amazing artwork this year, but that's my top three. Great choices. But yeah, just out of interest for everybody, um, what version of Haunting of Julia did you see? Did you see the title of The Haunting of Julia or Full Circle? I watched The Haunting of Julia just yeah, because, would... yeah, that was the, you know, feature yeah. title on the release. And yeah. I, I really like that title. It says kind of all about what it is. Fair enough. Uh, I, was the, I was the same. I watched The Haunting of Julia. Yeah. Maybe next time, because I will revisit that. Maybe next time I'll watch it as full circle. <laughs> Paul, how about you? Yeah, I watched it with uh, Haunting of Julia as well as the title. Well, I'm going to be the opposite. I watched it as full circle. <laughs> and um, Haunting of Julia for me too, yeah. Kind of you too, John? But, but no, Circle, I believe, was the original title? Yes, Full Circle was the original title. But that's one of the reasons why I watched it as full circle. And plus, I watched it with a, a dear friend of ours, Anthony Egan, and he highly recommended it, and we, we watched it. And as, yeah, because the Haunting Jewel, that was the US title, I believe. Yeah. And, and what we got over here on tape, so yeah. Okay. All right, well, that's cover art. Now, the next, the next category is top three special features, one feature per release. Okay, we're changing format for this for, for, from here on in. Suzanne, what are your top, what's your number three special feature for 2023. I just want to say to begin with that with 100 movies out this year, I really only, you know, kind of explored the films that appealed to me. But that's the cool thing about imprint, that there is something for everyone. And some people check out everything and other people, you know, go into those niches that they like. So, yeah, just the amount of features and commentaries on all the releases. It's just absolutely phenomenal how many they've given us. So my number three was uh, Choice of Love, the interview with actress Ellen Burstyn from Resurrection. And this is because it was a project that she was personally invested in and very passionate about. So it's really lovely to hear talking about it. And she really goes into a lot of depth about the film's themes and process and her character development and the story development which she was involved with. And um, she's very giving as well, very genuine, very giving. And it's just a very beautiful interview in the context of the film. It's a good, it's a good feature too, that one. Uh, Tim, what's your number three? Yeah, that was um, really close to me as well. I watched that on Friday, I think, um, an excellent feature. Um, mine's, I don't even know um, how to describe it. It's an entire disc of um, passion and poetry, the uh, Ballad of Sam Peckinpah uh, from Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Uh, just an exceptional documentary does what you want from a documentary like that and made me um just go back and watch i think i watched six sam peck and power films in like the the couple of days after i watched it so that's what you really want from a documentary like that is to get you excited about the filmmaker and to just dive in and i did and there's so many supplements on the supplement that uh it's it's a uh, a very enjoyable uh, extra that's a great extra for sure. 
Paul, what's your number three special feature? Yeah, so my number three special feature is from uh, Jacob's Ladder, and it's Prepare the Way uh, interview with screenwriter Bruce Joel Rubin. This was a really interesting interview, um, a new interview for the disc, and he delves into um, not only the writing process, um, but also the inspiration um, and how the idea for the screenplay came to him. It basically came to him in a dream, a dream that he had and that launched the first few sequences of the film. And from there, he just basically spat out like a screenplay fairly quickly. It's something that I've actually since uh, purchased and I'm going to read the screenplay because it was available um, at Publishers of Book um, around the time of the release of the film so it'd be really interesting to to delve into that and he also discusses some of the themes throughout the film to do with uh spirituality and like demons and things and he also then talks about the process of not only um writing that but then working with the director and the director's interpretation of that and how something can change from script to screen, but still really serve the themes and exactly what um, the writer was really intending. So it was really interesting to hear his perspectives on that um, retrospectively looking back at the film and, you know, knowing it was uh, from the nineties. So yeah, it was really um, an interesting um, interview with him. That is a really good interview, that one. My number three is the the Republic Pictures story documentary from the Catman of Paris. Um, I had no idea about the Repub- about Republic Pictures until I saw the Catman of Paris. Thank you, Imprint, for bringing it out. And it was fascinating. I absolutely loved the backstory of that studio as well as um, seeing other seeing what other films they released and of course the interviews with the, with with whoever's in there, whoever made some of their movies. Incredible. So, yes, the Republic picture story from the Cat and the Paris is my number three. Uh, John, what's your number three? Yeah, there's a lot of really good extras um, this year. So one for me, uh, one of my favourite films I'm glad Imprint released, it was Damage. Um, and so there's a really good extra on there uh, with Professor Hugo Frey. And he talks about this film and really covers um, Louis Mel's career, I guess uh, how he obviously came across to make more sort of uh, commercial films in a later stage of his career. He also covers the film's themes, which is unfortunately gets put into sort of a uh, erotic thriller or not you know, type bucket, but it's more than that. It's, it's about politics, um, Britain at the time. Uh, he covers the conservative government uh, in power, uh, and also just the themes of the film in general. It's a really great discussion, analysing uh, of, of the film. So um, for those who haven't seen Damage, really great film. But he also covers um, also how it was censored, obviously, around around the world in various places and, uh, and and various themes. So, yeah, it's a really, really good discussion. And uh, if you're a big fan of Damage, it's a, it's a good analysis that gives it more um, appreciation than what it's perceived as, which is a erotic thriller like Basic Instinct or something, which is not. It's much more than that. It's a much more deeper film about um, affairs and politics. So, yeah, really, really great little uh, discussion there on, on the film. I watched that one last night. It's such a great film and it was really misunderstood when it came out. And, yeah, you read a lot of reviews and people are really confused buy it but it's not actually meant to be erotic it's like these characters in great pain like Mm. hurting themselves and hurting other people and it shows you know because at the time all these steamy affairs and stuff but this film shows that affairs they don't work you know trying to live two lives and everything's going to collapse in the end and it's just 
yeah, very tragic film in a way, not to spoil it, but yeah, it's much more than what people give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, it's a catastrophe. It's like real, real life kind of, yeah, fantastic, and and a great feature too. I watched that one too. Yeah, great feature, and it covers. Yeah, so I thought, um, like the film might feature. So yeah, definitely, it's a top one for me. It is a really good movie. I hadn't seen it in years before the imprint release, but I haven't seen the disc yet. But I've got to watch that very soon. Suzanne, what's your number two special feature? My number two was The Devil in Music by David Huckvale on Night of the Eagle. I always find David's features really interesting and I think they're quite unique in the world of extras, the way that he breaks down film scores and their historical influences. Often film music can take a back seat in extras, I find. It's a lot about making of themes directing etc but he really brings it to the forefront in this fantastic way that's really easy to absorb and he celebrates its really important role in creating mood and atmosphere while talking about these composers that did some brilliant film scores that contributed greatly to these films you know success in terms of working And his knowledge about music, it's just brilliant. He has knowledge about all things gothic, occult and horror. And I think this really enhances his talks and the context of them with the films and the music. They're just super interesting. Yeah, David Huckvale's um, extras, especially on The Wicker Man, his his extras are fantastic. Uh, Tim, what's your second favourite special feature of the year? So I'm going to, I promise I'll stop talking about Peck and Parr in a little while, but um, I uh, really, really enjoyed the Grindhouse version of Cross the Vine. It was just fun to watch it. I don't know if it was just because I had an excuse to watch it again. I really liked that they included that as a, as an extra and, yeah, really worked for me. I'm super excited to watch that one. I haven't seen it yet, but obviously I know I know the movie. It's one. Yeah. You know, everyone might have caught on TV or whatever. What's the difference between the Grindhouse? What? It's just um, <laughs> less polished, let's say. Well, so, because it was it was treated as like a B movie in when it came out, so it would have played in Grindhouse theaters. So yeah, so it's just you know a bit more damaged and you know not pristine. It's essentially the same movie. <laughs> As I said, it was an excuse to watch it again. Yeah, the Grindhouse release was was spectacular. Mike Siegel, who had that Grindhouse release, um, kindly added it to the imprint release, which was fantastic. Uh, Paul, what's your second favourite feature for the year? Um, yeah, one that you've mentioned, Tony, from uh, Catman of Paris, the Republic Pictures story feature-length documentary this was one which when it was announced I was instantly like wow I can't wait to get this even just for that documentary alone like you said it goes into um, the history of the studio there's got lots of interviews and it's also got lots of clips from the films that they're involved with it's super in-depth and it was something that 
uh, like you said, John, you know, those, these sort of films from the 40s and 30s, the horrors, like they're really, really good, but usually so like the universal ones and the studio ones. And this is like a lower budget kind of um, affair. And the studio um, was just pumping these things out and they had so much output from across a range of different genres. And yeah, it's just really interesting to see the clips from the pieces, things that you might never really otherwise be able to see um it's from 1991 so a lot of the actors uh interviewed and people behind the scenes were still alive so there's interviews from people who have probably since passed um and it was just yeah perfect perfect accompaniment to the film great choice my second favorite feature is a different one actually it is the isolated music score of vangelis's score to the bounty this soundtrack was never officially released, and um, I'm a huge Vangelis fanatic. And and of course, here having this as a bonus extra, the entire score without dialogue, music to my ears. Sorry for the pun, but yeah, it is it is just absolutely beautiful. It is one of Vangelis's best scores, very underrated, which is a shame. But even though it's not officially released, at least the full score is on is isolated track on this release from imprint. So that's my number two. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight that bounty release. How many extras is actually on that release? It Stacked. is phenomenal. Like the documentaries, the commentaries, people involved with the film. And I was looking at that yesterday and I was watching the movie, I was watching the extras. And kind of looking at the extras, I didn't even realise it had the isolated score on it. There's so much on it to get through. So that's amazing because it is a beautiful, haunting score. It absolutely is. It is yeah, you are right, Suzanne. It is a shame that there is no um, there is no mention of the um, isolated score on the actual box, but it is on the disc. So there's must have been a little bit of a misprint there but that's okay but the main thing is that the isolated score is on the disc so if you want to watch the movie with um with just hearing van gallus's beautiful score go on the disc and that's it i'm glad you pointed that out because that's that's just brilliant and you can play that in the background absolutely uh john what's your second favorite feature of the year yeah, there were so many, um, and the Bounty release had so many features too. I was actually looking at that the other night too, but um, and also the Republic one came up for me too. Um, you know, as you both mentioned, and it's a nice little, uh, it can go along nice little pairing with the Silver Screens box set as well. Uh, Silver Screens, sorry. Um, but yeah, in terms of my favorite extra, um, look, it was it was very tough, but I'm a big huge fan of the um, House of Sand and Fog. Um, you know, one of my favorite films of all time and the fact that it's got a release in the Connolly box set. Um, but there's a really good extra on here because um, I was curious what the director thought of the film, you know, 20 years later. And it's called When the Fog Clears, director Vadim Peradam, 20 years later. And this is a recent recording. And it's quite interesting because he talks about the inception of the film, how it came from a book and the screenplay. And it's a really fascinating and honest take on the production of this film because he actually goes on to how the Weinsteins were interested in, in picking it up and, and optioning it. Uh, but they didn't want him to direct it. And it's it's really fascinating because he, he, he's, you know, 
uh, talks about how Weinstein was so arrogant, said, you'll never work in Hollywood again, like that old tycoon smoking the cigar and uh, almost tried to ruin his career because he wanted, he was so passionate about this film, but Weinstein was like, no, no, you're not going to direct it, first time director. And uh, and he called um, Weinstein Jabba the Hutt in an interview. Um, it's actually covered on this as well. So pretty funny stuff. Uh, but it's a very brutal, honest take on the Hollywood system and how he, he fought to get this film made. And eventually it was made. And, and the Weinsteins, I think, picked up the UK rights or something like that. But and he talks about the reflection of the film, you know, 20 years later as well. So if you're a big fan of this film, uh, just hearing the director speak about it and how the, the challenge is to get it made, uh, it's a really, really great feature. So uh, it's such a powerful film and, you know, um, you know, it, even it's worth getting the box set alone for it and the extras. So, yeah, that's my number two right there. That's my favorite film from the Connolly box as well. I saw that theatrically back in 2003 and I, I loved it. But the but I gotta say well I gotta mention one thing there the other extra I love was the interview with Shirley Dashley who was nominated for an Oscar for her performance that was really good as well but that was a tough contender as well it was, it was very tough it was very very tough I agree but yeah the House of Sand and Fog is definitely one of my favorites from 2003 for sure amazing film now Suzanne. What is your ultimate special feature for 2000 for, for 2023? My favourite special feature was the remastered CD soundtrack by composer Colin Towns on um, The Haunting of Julia. It features 20 minutes of previously unheard music. I always love the inclusion of a soundtrack CD. I know last year I mentioned the Wicker Man one, so this is another one. And the fact that we get this newly remastered edition with bonus tracks is just absolutely brilliant. It did have a vinyl release in 1978 when it first came out, and there seems to have been a CD pressing in 1995, but it's been out of print pretty much since then, um, not available, hard to get. We all know living in Australia how expensive import soundtracks were, how difficult they were to get. Not many stores carried them. So I just love a CD soundtrack. I'm still into my CDs. Um, not to mention Colin Towns' eerie electronic score really deserves to be heard and enjoyed. It's like very appealing, very haunting. So I, I love this one. It is a hauntingly beautiful score. I, I love it too. And but yeah, like the vinyl release. Um, our dear friend Anthony Egan, he's got the vinyl, and I've seen it, and it looks looks beautiful. Um, and but well, tone. Uh, Anthony actually, yeah, he he ripped that CD as well because he said the quality of it was amazing. That the the remaster they did on it. So yeah. Uh, Tim, what's your ultimate feature for 2023? Well, my thunder's been stolen there. Um, I've got the same. Uh, the same one, the CD soundtrack. Um, I also love it when a, um, a CD is included on a release. Um, Umbrella do it a bit. It's a beautiful score and um, it makes a, a really good companion with the um, Breaking the Circle uh, interview um, with Colin Towns. So I don't think I could say it anywhere nearly as well as Suzanne did. So that's my number one. Awesome. Um, Paul, what's your ultimate feature for 2023? 
So my ultimate feature for 2023 comes from the Jennifer Connolly box set as well, uh, but mine's from um, Waking the Dead. And it's the the sum of Total Change interview with director Keith Gordon. So I watched this film only fairly recently and was absolutely blown away by it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's quite a different sort of film. It deals with a lot of interesting themes, kind of a ghost story, but not There's politically charged themes. It's, it's really, really um, deep and interesting. And the interview with the director is um, kind of similar to the director of House of Sand Fog, actually, like looking back on the film. So it's a new interview with him. Um, he mentions a bit about the Hollywood system and how it was getting this film made. Jodie Foster, um, actually, her company came on board and provided some of the funding uh, after reading the script. And then uh, Keith Gordon, the director, mentions um, that he started out as an actor and so he really understood the acting process and then when he was coming to work on this film, um, it was really good for him to have that experience to work with the, the leads um, in their challenging roles and he also talks about the ambiguity in the film. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to really give a spoiler, but um, the ending is a bit up in the air and he gives both his take on that but then also provides um doesn't want to provide answers and it's a really interesting interview of his take on not only the filmmaking but really going into the film itself um, and his experiences so yeah i really enjoyed both the film and then that extra in particular um really stood out for me i've yet to see that film from the box to tell you the truth um but i really really got to watch it well paul if you highly recommended it i'll definitely watch it soon Definitely recommend. Well, my ultimate feature for 2023 is the same as Suzanne's and Tim's, the soundtrack CD for The Haunting of Julia. Colin Towns' beautiful electronic score is just mind-blowing. When I watched the film for the first time and I heard the, the beginning credit music, I thought, oh, this is gorgeous. This is just absolutely phenomenal. So... Yeah, and I'm glad, as you said, Suzanne, there's extra 20 minutes worth of music that hasn't been released before, and this remaster sounds spectacular. So, yes, my ultimate feature is Colin Town's CD soundtrack for The Morning of Julia. Um, John, what's your ultimate feature for 2023? Yes, uh, once again, it was tough, um, and that soundtrack was up there for me because I, I love the score. I picked the um, extra on the Arabian Nights uh, release, um, and this is the um, author, film historian, Kim Newman on Arabian Nights. Uh, obviously, I love the adventure uh, box set that they did. Uh, and this is a really good extra, because once again, Kim Newman, I could hear him talk for hours. I mean, his knowledge is unbelievable. But this is really, it kind of covers the whole genre in a nutshell. He covers the cultural appropriation and Oriental and Middle Eastern of the time, you know, for Hollywood films being made. He talks about the classic Arabian Nights story and all the adaptations even up you know to the disney one you know so it's quite interesting to see that cultural history of it covers the technicolor adventure genre at the time going into really good detail about uh that sort of the, the universal obviously making this at the time and um it also covers the next sort of generation which would be the harryhausen films that would kind of take on a new generation of of the uh, those fantastical tales and also covers sabu as well and, and sabu's sort of career as one of the big sort of indian stars that broke out to hollywood and kind of broke the cultural barriers at the time so really great discussion on that sort of genre and like i said there's so many good extras but kim newman always nails it so um that was a top extra for me just to hear about that uh, a genre i knew a little bit about but not so much and this kind of gave a really good in-depth um discussion so that's a, a top special feature for me 
Yeah, speaking about Sabu, his he his career, even though it was short, it was short, but it was memorable. Especially yeah. his well, to me, the ultimate rendition of the Jungle Book is the 1942 version, which stars Sabu as Mowgli, and for me, that performance will is unforgettable. And of course. He started in Powell and Pressburger's films as well, especially with Black Narcissus. Yep, yep. amazing career. And uh, no one in, in our circles, but, yeah, definitely a figure that, um, you know, needs more appreciation because he was a, yeah, yeah, incredible icon. So, yeah, really great extra. Absolutely. All righty. Next, next category is top imprint commentary. Uh, top three, sorry. And... um. Suzanne, what's your number three audio commentary for the year? So these aren't really in particular order, so I just want <laughs> to say that. So just number three loosely. Um, so the audio commentary by Lee Gambon on Resurrection. And as always, Lee delves really deep with these meticulously researched commentaries. I love that he uses first-hand sources and gets these really amazing insights into films by talking to people involved with making them. I love that. Um, he's really great at talking about a film's themes and the symbolism, which I find particularly interesting. It's very important in this film. Also really interesting. Plus, he's very passionate about these films and it's a quality that's very infectious in his commentaries. That's something I always enjoy and he kind of passes on that enthusiasm for these films and why they're important, why we should be interested, why we should care. And I think, yeah, this is a really, really fantastic commentary on a great film. It certainly is. Uh, Tim, what's your third favourite commentary for the year? Well, I'm going to say um, my second uh, before I say my third because it was Lee Gambon's uh, commentary on Resurrection. I agree with everything um, Suzanne said then. I think every year um, that I've done lists of the best of everything, there's always been a Lee Gambon commentary and my favourite commentaries of the year. Uh, last year it was the Fabulous Stains one, um, the Carrie one previously, and he just um, is able to just engage but provide so much, so much knowledge and so much background on on the subjects. You know, he he loves what he's talking about, um, and it's it, it's infectious and yeah, absolutely fantastic background on this film, which. You know, I wouldn't have appreciated anywhere near as much without his um, insights into it. So, yeah, that was my number two, um, and I'll say my number three at number two. Okay, no worries. Paul, what's your number three commentary for the year? So my number three is from the Great Gatsby um, release, and it's the commentary with uh, Professor of Film Scholar Jason A. Nye. Um, this is a very different Great Gatsby to what I was expecting. Um, obviously, I've seen other adaptations, read the book, and it's more of a noir film. And when you watch it through that lens and then listen to the commentary, it, it kind of it, it changes um, how you view the story. And it being different, I was kind of maybe put off at first, but then after listening to the commentary, that really like turned me back around to it and go, oh, okay, now I understand the perspective 
through which this version was made. So that's my number three commentary for giving this version context for me. I gotta say, I was very surprised with that release for The Great Gatsby. I've never seen that version as it was a lost film for a while. I think it's one of the best adaptations to the show. You were right, Paul. It is like a noir movie, which is great. Yeah, it definitely fits into that like 40s style. So yeah, really um, enjoyed it more, especially after listening to that that commentary. Alrighty, um, my number three commentary for the year was The Mountain by Howard S. Berger. I can hear Howard all day, literally. His passion for film is like like Lee's, for example, when he talks. His commentary was just phenomenal, discussing all these the backstories, the history of Spencer Tracy, of course, and of course Robert Wagner. There's just so much to discuss with this with this commentary because Howard, he's a good talker. But I do have to say that my third favorite, uh, my third favorite is definitely The Mountain from Howard Berger. Uh, John, what's your third favorite commentary? Yeah, I mean, so many good commentaries this year, <clears throat> and with imprint, it's always quality. Look, Resurre- um, Resurrection was up there for me as well, and uh, because it's just you know, it's such a, a great comedy, and we all, uh, yeah, sorry, I'll start again, comedy. <laughs> sorry, such a great, it's such a great commentary. Yeah, comedy, it's hilarious. Uh, such a great commentary with uh, with Lee Gambin, and uh, look, I, I knew that's probably going to get picked, so I decided not to pick it. It was up there, so that's definitely a top one for me. But the one that really stood out for me was a film I never heard of or seen until this year, and that was Fear is the Key. And uh, the commentary on here with uh, Kim Newman and author Sean Hogan is is amazing because it covers the the book itself. Uh, it goes into the adaptation. It covers, um, obviously, the, the cast, you know, Barry Newman at the time, um, you know, Susie Kendall. Uh, and also covers, obviously, um, you know, we see Ben Kingsley in an early role there as well. So uh, really fascinating knowledge, you know, filled commentary on this pulpy, really fun film that we did an episode on. And uh, the commentary had always stuck with me and I went back and listened to it again. And it's just as informed and, and as fun as it was previously. So um, Fear is the Key is uh, definitely a top commentary for me because I really like the film as well. That was a really good commentary. And of course, that episode we did with Chris Miles, I mean, that was Brilliant. Really good one. Yeah, great one. Uh, Suzanne, what's your second favourite commentary for the year? So my second was the commentary by director Richard Loncrane and Simon Fitzjohn on The Haunting of Julia. Of course, it's always nice to hear from a director and have that first-hand insight into a film, especially one like this that kind of languished in obscurity for so long and Richard Longcrane he's quite lively and fun to listen to um he chats with Simon who I believe was largely responsible for the resurrection of this movie due to his deep dive obsession with it so I think it's a lot due to him we actually have this release um with him researching and championing it of course um, the other commentary uh, by authors John Rigby and Kevin Lyons on that one is fantastic as well. And I think these commentaries are particularly fascinating on films that we don't know much about due to their um, abject obscurity in the past. So it's just very interesting to find out about them, especially when it's something that hasn't been on your radar or, you know, many people's radar like this one. Uh, Tim, what's your what's your second favorite? Well, or number three now for um, for commentary. 
Um, so um, there's a commentary by Mike Hodges and uh, Trevor Preston um, on I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. This is a movie that I was completely unaware of somehow. It just floored me when I saw it. Fantastic film. And it's always good when you see something for the first time that that really hits you and then you go and listen to what the director has to say about it. And Mike Hodges and uh, Trevor Preston have a very easy communication between them. It's Mike Hodges giving his insights and Trevor just occasionally prompting him and keeping him on track. And, yeah, it's great to sort of the things I really liked about the film, hearing Mike Hodges say, oh, this worked really well, I loved the way this worked, and also these little bits and pieces that he had in the film, just incredibly subtle sort of background things that, you know, it take me five, six, seven viewings to pick up on. He's there just highlighting them and he's going, oh, of course, that's why that worked so well. So, yeah, I found that to be an excellent um, commentary uh, on an excellent film. Paul, what's your second favourite commentary for the year? So my second favourite comes from um, My Summer of Love, which is a film that I really, really, really enjoyed. It was so perfectly made um, in every single aspect that just came together to tell this um, beautiful yet haunting uh, story that... Um, was was a surprise i'd never heard of the film really good actors in it um but yeah just hadn't come across it before before this imprint release and as probably evident from some of my other um mentions i love hearing directors talk about their work and it's the director's commentary on this um from paul palikowski i think is how i pronounce it uh, apologies if i've got that wrong but yeah he's really dives into uh just talking about the work and every aspect of the the filmmaking i just really enjoyed both watching the film and then hearing um, that commentary alongside because it's it's one which I'll definitely have to revisit um, because there's lots of themes in there and things you could probably pick up upon second, third and fourth viewings. Um, yeah, so definitely really enjoyed that um, filmmaker's commentary on that release. Nice. My second favourite commentary is from a film that has been, is basically, was basically obscure until until recently from imprint. It is the commentary by Daniel Kramer and Sidney J. Fury for Sheila Levine is Dead and Living in New York. This is my favourite film from that from the Sidney J. Fury box set. I have never seen it or heard of it. And when I watched the film, I was just, I was in love with it. And then I heard the commentary with Sidney J. Fury and Daniel Kramer. This film had such a troubled production. It, it, like, you know, Ginny Berlin, who, who stars as Sheila Levine, apparently was really difficult to work with and of course being a comedy it is a, it is it is known that working on comedy comedy films is literally a nightmare to do on set some of the stories that Sidney J Fury and Daniel Kramer discuss in this commentary was mind blowing to say the least but yes um my favorite film from this box set and my second favorite commentary is Sheila Levine is dead living in New York it's a really good one uh, John, what's your second favorite commentary for the year? That was one of my favorite commentaries too, Tony. And we had the pleasure of interviewing Daniel Kramer on it and giving us a bit of insight to that commentary. So yeah, it, absolutely. That was a top discovery for me as well for the year. I never even heard of it. So my next one, I'm going a little different. This is the audio commentary on the uh, film The Skeleton Key. Now, um, this is a film I saw 
in, in the cinemas. At the time, I was a bit iffy on it, but over the years, I've grown to appreciate uh, the sort of early 2000s horror, um, you know, compared to what's being made today. There are, <laughs> production-wise, there are there are a lot lot different. Um, but this has a commentary, a new commentary by uh, film critic Alexandra Helen, Helen Nicholas, who uh, obviously is a local Aussie uh, based down in... Um, Melbourne. So this is a really, really great commentary. And uh, most people would dismiss this film as just a throwaway horror film, uh, but it's actually more than that. And the commentary gives a lot of depth on what was going on in the genre at the time. So obviously um, it, it was a, uh, she describes it very well. She says there's sort of this um, uh, uh, sort of torture porn part where it starts in the mid um, noughts. And then before that's this weird sort of limbo of horror films. And this kind of fell in that category. And uh, she does give a good breakdown of the genre also talks about sort of post 9-11 fears and what was uh, obviously America was still on edge at the time and, and horror changed to kind of adapt that. And, and she really goes into a lot of detail on the um, uh, the Gothic imagery, the Southern Gothic of it. So it, it, it's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more depth this film than you think. And, and like I said, it was great that Imprint released it because uh, I hadn't seen it since the cinemas and it really gave me an appreciation on it again. And, and look, I, I, I'm very fond of this sort of era of horror as well because that's kind of when I was a massive horror fan was the, the sort of early 2000s sort of era. Um, I was seeing everything that's coming out in the theatres. So, uh, yeah, it's a really good commentary and covers a lot on, on the genre, this film, imagery. There's a lot to be discussed. And so we'll really give you an appreciation for the skeleton key in case you didn't know. So um, she was able to turn it around. So, yeah. Really, really great commentary on a, a film, which I think um, deserves a second chance. I agree. Well, I, I saw it theatrically as well, John, and I wasn't keen on it, to tell you the truth. But while, after watching this imprint release again, it grew on me. I did like it. I haven't seen any of the extras for that film yet, but I really got to this very soon, especially with your recommendation of Alexandra's commentary. There's Definitely. a lot of text. Yeah. All right, Suzanne. What's the top commentary for 2023? So um, my number one commentary was the commentary by historical consultant Stephen Walters on The Bounty. This is a really fascinating commentary by the historian that actually advised the film production. It delves into the true his historical aspects behind the story and production including these really amazing insights into costumes, props, casting, and how he advised on that so that it would be historically accurate yet also workable within making the film. And he opens with a really excellent point that historical films are ultimately entertainment not documentaries, and while they try and retain as much historical accuracy as possible, artistic licence must be taken for lots and lots of reasons, from story flow and coherence to character development, staging, of course, big budgetary concerns as well, because he was saying to produce something 100% historically accurate would be entirely prohibitive due to cost. So I know this is a debate that's raised every time a big historical drama comes out. Most recently, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, which I think people have really become mired down in this um, historical detail and this cynicism 
um, that somehow these films should be entirely historically accurate and criticising every point about them rather than just being able to sit back and relax and enjoy the story and this spectacle presented to them. And I like that we have a real historian, not a film historian, an expert on the actual bounty and this era of history emphasising this point and talking, yeah, on the translation of real historical stories to film, which is actually quite a difficult thing. And, of course, this is a huge epic film. His detail about they built, you know, a replica ship, full-size tall ship, real sails made in the, you know, original way as they would have done back then. Um, he talks about the prop of the ship's log, which was made by people that did traditional bookbinding in the same ways and methods, you know, as when the bounty ship's log was made. So, yeah, it's just super, super fascinating, absolutely, yeah, engrossing, interesting, and here's like a fountain of knowledge about all things bounty. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I also wanted to give just... Yeah, to cheat, just a shout-out also to um, the commentary by director William Friedkin on Bug, again, another director commentary, and saying that he passed away this year, these archival commentaries are, like, more important than ever. So I just wanted – I had that down on a short list. I just wanted to mention it too. Absolutely. May he rest in peace. Tim, what's your favourite commentary for 2023? <laughs> yes, uh, William Friedkin's commentary on Bug. It's always a joy listening to him talk about anything, really. It doesn't matter what William Friedkin's talking about. It's entertaining and engaging. And when the commentary starts, you hear him say, look at that logo. What a great logo. And it just really just goes from there. Obviously, there's moments in the commentary where he's just describing what's happening on scene, but uh, like on screen. But even that, you know, it's just great to hear him talking. There's a lot of um, good background on Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd and um, Harry Connick Jr. in particular uh, that he gives uh, during the commentary. And yeah, I mean, I saw Bug last year for the first time and I watched it again earlier in the year when the imprint release came out and I was it's not the easiest film to watch um, so I was pretty hesitant in putting it on again but after William Friedkin passed away I, I, I really you know I just wanted to hear his voice again and was yeah greatly rewarded for for doing so a fantastic commentary um, I recommend any commentary of his you can get your hands on he is great to listen to, and I found him talking over that film. Despite the nature of the film, it was actually really relaxing. It yeah. takes you on this journey into the film and the character motivations and his motivation. Yeah, he's just fantastic. He, he never holds back. He's always very, uh, very brutal at times, which is great. He's so honest and... Uh, one of the directors that, you know, his comments on your know, films like he did like cruising and stuff, they're really fascinating watches. If you can mm. find news with him, he's yeah, very to the point. 
Oh, that's for sure. Uh, Paul, what's your favourite commentary for the year? Uh, so my favourite commentary for the year comes from a release which we've talked about um, quite a bit already, and it's um, Catman Paris, and it's the audio commentary by film historians Kim Newman and Stephen Jones. I really couldn't go, out, go without mentioning Kim Newman and Stephen Jones. Their commentaries are always interesting, and this one is no exception. And I particularly like their conversational um, relationship that they have. And so it's not only listening to information and their, their wealth of knowledge, but they also have a really great friendship. Um, and it's just like listening to uh, a couple of mates talk about the film, but they are really uh, honest with their opinions and they also enlighten a lot of facts because, as you know, both of them, especially Kim Newman, just know so much. And I love listening to Kim Newman talk anytime uh, he's on any release. Uh, it's always the first thing I'll put on, whether it's a commentary or an interview, because um, he's just entertaining to listen to. And so, you not only get the information uh, factor, but you get the entertainment factor as well. So, yeah. And, this uh, release was was no exception and the fact that the film is only an hour and three minutes long makes it quite easy to watch the film and then listen to the commentary and you've really only it's only two hours gone um so it's quite a nice uh, little time saver as well and i just want to mention on suzanne's point about the bounty as well i didn't know that, that was a commentary on there i've watched the film but that's one now I'll definitely listening to because it's so right like historical dramas uh, their films and uh, adapting anything to a film is taking it into the world of film and the confines and constraints of what a film is. Uh, it's kind of like when you adapt a book, you can't put everything the book into the film be entirely uh, accurate because they're two different mediums and real life and film is is different. So I definitely want to listen to that now after your recommendation. Absolutely. That one's not a time saver, though, at two and a half hours or whatever. <laughs> However long the film is, you watch the film and then you watch it again with the commentary, but it's super fascinating. Great choice. Any any commentary with Kim Newman, as you said, Paul, you can't go wrong. Yeah, always entertaining. Absolutely. My commentary for the year, I'm not going to speak much about it because it's been mentioned twice already. And uh, my commentary for the year is Lee Gambon's Resurrection. His, as, as you said, Suzanne, his passion for the film and his and the, and the deep dive he goes into with um, talking to other to the people who were involved in the production, always, always, always great. So yeah, I'm not going to mention too much because you and because Suzanne and Tim have mentioned it quite a bit, which is great. So yeah, Lee's um, commentary on Resurrection is my number one. Uh, John, what's your number one commentary? Yeah, so many good commentaries, and I'm going to have to listen to that Bounty one now as well. So, yeah, I saw the film. So, yeah, that's next on my list. So, yeah, uh, my favourite commentary for the year was um, <clears throat> actually in the, the Walter Hill box, and that is on uh, The Driver. And so uh, this is the commentary by film historian critic Matthew Asprey Gear. Uh, this is one of my favourite films of all time. And so to get a commentary on it really adds adds value to it and, and gives you a lot of context on, on the film. So Matthew, a great critic, Aussie as well. So, uh, you know, uh, he's taught, you know, uh, 
in various universities, uh, actually just over here in Macquarie University, funny enough, I met him many years ago. But the commentary um, goes into uh, heist films, the French influence on it, the use of Los Angeles and the streets, you know, changes, and, and also scenes that were cut out of the film and how the film was meant to start and end. And there's a lot of interesting context there. Also, the, the editing of the film, the stunt work, uh, and actually goes into um, Ryan O'Neill's career as well at this point, how it was an unusual role for him at the time to take. And uh, and once again, rest in peace because he recently passed away. So um, I watched The Driver again because it's just such a great film. And there are moments in the commentary where he's just like, obviously, he's in the parking lot doing that, you know, oh, you want to see me drive? And, uh, and he just stops and says, you know, obviously, I'll stop talking because this is going to, you know, you can't not be distracted by this amazing scene. So very incredible wealth of knowledge, just every cast character even little bit parts like that person was in this and blah blah, blah. so um just a very rich commentary on the driver and once again just the amazing film so uh, i had to put it in my top uh, commentary because the film's just incredible too so yep that's uh, my favorite commentary lovely and yeah may ryan and rest in peace the driver especially this release from imprint in 4k no less stunning yep Alrighty, now the next category is top three video essays, one essay per release. So, um, Suzanne, um, what's your third favourite video release? Video essay, sorry. So, my third, again, these are really in no particular order, but it was um, Fritz Lieber's Conjure Wife, the video essay by academic Rachel Knightley from Night of the Eagle. This is a film that I really love. I've loved it for a long time. So I found this essay interesting. Rachel delves into the source novel, which I didn't know much about that. So I got a lot of new information from it. She explores the themes of domestic terror and the feminine with domestic terror. So, yeah, it was just a really nice video essay. It had some great imagery. I found it very enjoyable. Uh, Tim, what's your third favourite video essay for the year? Well, funnily enough, it is, I do believe, The Evil Eye of Sydney Hayes, also from Night of the Eagle. So this is the video essay by Howard S. Berger on um, the film. And of that film, it was um, one I'd never heard of, either as Night of the Eagle or Burn Witch Burn somehow. That release has a wealth of supplements and the two video essays both add so much to my appreciation of a film that I appreciated a lot. So Howard Esberger just won out on that one. <laughs> Paul, what's your third favourite uh, video essay for the year? Uh, third favourite, I'm again featuring Catman of Paris, and this time it's the Mark of the Beast, Myth-Making and Masculinity in the Catman of Paris video essay by film historian Cat Ellinger. Kat Ellinger, as I'm sure we all know, does phenomenal work on everything that uh, she does, any release she's a part of. Her video essays and commentaries, always really interesting, well-researched, and also gives a really good analysis, I find, every time. This video essay really delves into themes which like she's really able to shine a light on and explain. So yeah, definitely a standout from, from this release by Kat. My third favourite video essay is Elective Vicissitudes, The Radical Exiles of Jules Dassin from the Uptight release. I've never heard of Uptight. I have never seen it, and I do know of Jules Dassin's work, but 
Philip Jeffries, who's a dear friend of ours, who runs the COVID and Cult Film YouTube channel, he praises it. He gives it the highest recommendation ever. And after that, I had to watch it. And I, I, I agree with him. This movie was beautiful. It was fantastic. And with this elective, this issues The Radical Exiles of Jules Dassin from Daniel Kramer. It was fascinating hearing about Jules Dassin's um, career and his politics and film and everything. It, it, is, it was incredible. I loved it. So, yeah, this one is definitely my third. Look, it was a tough choice for video essays altogether for this year. But, yeah, this one, i going to say, is my third favourite. Uh, John, what's your third favourite video essay? Yeah, once again, so many releases this year. Um, kind of forgot, you know, <laughs> what came out and what didn't. So uh, my third favourite uh, is from the uh, Jacob's Ladder release. And this is the video essay, Hidden in Plain Sight, Spirituality and Jacob's Ladder video essay, once again by Alexandra Helen Nicholas. I absolutely adore this film. So anything about Jacob's Ladder and, and the themes and to get to know more about it is is really important. So it does cover the spirituality and the history of the screenplay, where it came from. It covers the book Tibet of the Dead, um, the Book of the Dead, sorry, from Tibet, which um, also had a lot of influence and um, uh, spirituality from that taken into it. The journey of the soul, the spiritual universe, and also how the film deals with religious imagery and things you may not have seen or missed. And it does go into various characters who speak about philosophy in the film, including uh, Louis, the physiotherapist, and uh, his importance in the film, which I didn't really notice. So it covers silence, atmosphere, the musical score and the lack of musical score, which is quite interesting. I didn't think about that too, how um, it's not overblown. It's actually quite a subtle and silent film. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, once again, I don't want to give away too much because I, I absolutely love the film. But uh, if you have a list, have a watch of that video essay, it gives you a real um, in-depth um, appreciation of the film even more and more layers to the film, which I keep discovering every time I watch it. So an absolute masterpiece for me. Absolutely. All right, Suzanne, what's your second favourite video essay for the year? My second was Maria Montez, Queen of Technicolor, video essay by film historian Philippa Berry. I have a bit of a mini obsession with Maria Montez, but at the same time, I don't know a whole lot about her. I just like her films. She's absolutely gorgeous. So I adored this video essay about her life, and it's especially about her star appeal. It's a really beautiful piece, lots of beautiful imagery we get lots of pictures and from her life and her films it gives a really good insight into her rise to fame and her films and I feel that Philippa Berry's quite passionate and very into talking about this era of Hollywood so yeah it was a really lovely one. Oh, great. And and just for the listeners, Suzanne, from what release was that video essay from? Oh, sorry. It That's was good. from um, Tales of Adventure, Collection 1, the box set, and it was from Arabian Nights, of course, starring Maria Montez. Lovely. Uh, Tim, what's your second favourite uh, video essay for the year? Okay, so I'm um, going back to The Haunting of Julia, which we all seem to be doing fairly regularly. I love Kat Ellinger's essay, uh, Motherhood and Madness, Mia Farrow and the Female Gothic. I watched that basically the second 
I finished watching uh, The Haunting of Julia and I went back and watched it again this week. It's just a, a fantastic overview of something that for some reason I'd never pieced together about Mia Farrow's career, uh, let's just say outside of the obvious thing that everyone remembers her for. So Secret Ceremony and See No Evil and Rosemary's Baby and Haunting of Julia and just how those films fit together and how as an actress she just is perfect in those roles yeah just how thematically those films are similar and um i i just absolutely love listening to kat allinger talk about mia farrow and yes i i highly recommend uh you do the same if you haven't already paul what's your second favorite video essay for the year uh, so my second favourite was also from Jacob's Ladder, and it was the Hidden in Plain Sight Spirituality essay by Alexandra Hell Nicholas. Like you said, John, it really uh, analyses the film from that spirituality perspective, and it highlights things without uh, throughout the film, which uh, maybe on first viewing you don't necessarily see. And she really goes into specific filmmaking styles and lighting and shots to highlight the spirituality within the film. Is yeah, really well researched and just like you just said, John, adds another layer to the film, um, which might not necessarily be evident um, viewing it for the first time. So that was my second one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Those who think they know the, the film very well, definitely watch it. It'll give you another appreciation, just stuff that flew over my head. So yeah, it's, it's a really great extra. Yeah, 100%. My second favourite video essay for the year was Daniel Kramer's Full Metal Fury, Kubrick and the Boys and Company C from the Boys and Company C. Like, like Sheila Bean is dead and living in New York. I had no idea. I had never heard of this. And I watched it. And I watched the comment and I thought, this film looks really familiar. And of course, Danny Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. And then when I watched the video essay from Daniel Kramer, Full Metal Fury, that was a mind blow. That was mind blowing. Like it was astounding, especially hearing the stories of how Kubrick wanted, you know, wanted the movie of the Boys and Company you see buried, so he can so he can say that um, he create that he originated the format for the um, beginning of training and then going into war like he did in Formula Jacket, but this was the first. And just hearing just hearing some of the wild craziness that Kubrick thought of this film insane I gotta say this was definitely one of my, my second favourite video essay for the year John what's your favourite second favourite video essay of the year yep you, you read my mind because that was my number well it's going to be number one but I'll make it number two that likes to no particular order but yeah the, the boys and company see obviously that uh, Daniel Kramer uh, extra about Kubrick once again absolute eye-opener because um, I'd, I'd never seen this film before but I yeah, love Full Metal Jacket I think a lot of Kubrick fans it's a it's a love or hate type film for a lot of people but it, it, the Kubrick fans have to see this if you if you like just if you like Kubrick in general give it a watch because it's mind-blowing he actually in the video essay shows comparison shots uh, you know very similar even with um, Arlie Erming walking down um obviously they're all in the bunk beds and striking similarities and the fact they even took the the lead drill sergeant in this film as well is is fascinating so yeah um once again it just adds a appreciation to the director himself and how this film is very underrated but yeah just it 
for for Kubrick fans, it's an eye opener. So yeah, that that was it's a very powerful video essay about uh, possible plagiarism. I don't want to say that, but yeah, because I love Kubrick, but it's it's fascinating. So yeah, it, it's it's a real eye opener for me too. So that's a top one for me. Absolutely, yeah, you are right about the possible plagiarism quote. It is a little tough to take. It is a little tough, but if you watch this, if you watch this video essay, you understand why. Now, Suzanne, what's your top video essay of the year? So my number one, like Tim, was Motherhood and Madness, Mia Farrow and the Female Gothic video essay by film historian Kat Ellinger that, of course, was from The Haunting of Julia. He said quite a bit about it already, but I just found it an interesting, insightful look at Mia Farrow's uh, horror, thriller kind of films, and Kat's really in her element here. She talks very beautifully about the feminine gothic, which she always does, um, and, of course, it's contemporary incarnation, with all of these films and how she brings them together. I, I just love hearing Kat Ellinger talk about the Gothic and feminine Gothic or feminism in Gothic. She really gets to the heart of things. She's very insightful um, and I just always find them really interesting but also enjoyable, which is great. Definitely. Tim, what's your favourite video essay for the year? Um, like um, <laughs> some other people, uh, let's just say, uh, yeah, Full Metal Fury, uh, Stanley Kubrick and the Boys in Company C. Obviously, it's a really striking, well-made, in-depth uh, video essay comparing uh, the Boys in Company C with Full Metal Jacket. Kubrick's my favourite filmmaker, I'd say, and seeing the comparisons i mean watching the film i saw the comparisons immediately uh it, it wasn't um like i needed someone to tell me <laughs> uh just how similar they were but um actually having that visual comparison i would still very slightly prefer full metal jacket as a film um for a number of reasons and some of those struck me in the comparison shots the kubrick's you know, a perfectionist. In the comparisons, there's the precision in Kubrick shots that's very much of Kubrick compared to Sydney Fury, which is obviously a bit more free-flowing. The production design's not just, you know, down to the the tiniest crease on the beds and all the rest. So I agreed with 95% of what was being said in the, the documentary, and I liked that I disagreed with a few things as well. So a fantastic comparison. So that was my number one for the year. That was an excellent video essay, I can tell you that. It was definitely an eye-opener, very astounding. Um, Paul, what's your favourite video essay for the year? Um, so my top video essay for the year is one that um, Tim has mentioned, and it's I do believe the Evil Eye of Sydney Hayes video essay by film historian Howard Esberger from Night of the Eagle. This is one which I've actually watched twice now because it is so interesting. It runs at 42 minutes long, so it's not a short one, but it covers so much. It's also, it starts with like a little bit of um, a history of the genre and in the visual essay, uh, some really great posters are shown of films that he's talking about, some classic film posters. And then it really starts delving into 
the film, the filmmaking style and the way the camera and the editing and the lighting is really unfolding uh, things about the characters and the story that you don't necessarily get the first time you watch the film. But then when Howard breaks it down in a really easy to understand way, but as well as really in depth, it just gives a whole nother layer to the film and um, really shows off like the filmmaking style of Sydney Hayes and how Night of the Eagle was made and how everything just comes together perfectly to tell this really interesting witchcraft story and how the characters interact. And he, he specifically describes ways that uh, there's choreography in the camera work. I always find filmmakers talking about that interesting, but just that being analysed outside of like a filmmaking perspective was really, really interesting. And yeah, one of the longest videos, video essays I've ever seen. But Howard Esberger, like you said, Tony, he can talk. Uh, he, he's really, really good. I remember when he was on The Disconnected, uh, that episode, um, which ran about two and a half hours. But that was really rewarding to watch. And then hearing him again on this was just really, really interesting. So yeah, definitely uh, enjoying anything now since discovering uh, Howard Esberger's work. Anything he's involved with is always really interesting and really well uh, researched and very, very thorough. Yeah, there was a moment in that um, video essay where I was, uh, because there's a couple of fairly uh, long, just straight scenes in the movie, I was wondering if I'd accidentally switched to the commentary track. <laughs> <laughs> it was so detailed and such a long scene. But yeah. I've I felt the same. It almost ran commentary uh, style for a while in, in there. Yeah, Paul, you were right. Howard is definitely a talker, great person, and gr his his um, information, his knowledge, of course, as you said, couldn't agree more. Now, my number one video essay for the year is, I am not going to talk much about it because Tim and Suzanne have covered it. It is... Motherhood and Madness, Mia Farrow and the Female Gothic by Kat Ellinger from The Haunting of Julia. Kat Ellinger, you can't go wrong. Every, and especially with a, with, um, with a topic, for, like with this film in particular, it's just, she knows what she's talking about. She is fantastic. And all this information on Mia Farrow, the movies that she's done, like, of course, Rosemary's Baby and um, Secret Ceremony. Yeah. Can't talk much about it because Tim and Suzanne did it for me, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> no, but I do it. But I do have to say, Cat Ellinger's video essay for *The Haunting of Julia* is my number one. Uh, John, what's your number one video essay for the year? Yeah, um, yeah, the Cat Ellinger one was incredible. So that was up there for me as well. But um, my favourite one would have to come from the *Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia* release, and this is the um, extra. Sorry, skip right here. Uh, it's, Portrait of the Artist as a Dead Man, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, and Peckinpah's Last Chance, video essay by film writer Travis Woods. Now, um, I've seen this film many times. It's one of my favourite Peckinpah's. It's up there for me, one of my favourite films of all time. And it's a really interesting uh, video essay that covers a lot, once again, things I didn't really notice or think of at the time. So basically saying that the uh, the main character is an analogy for uh, Peckinpah. He is basically the... Peckinpah is this character, worn, tired, uh, you know, beat down, you know, alcoholic. Um, and uh, it talks about 
uh, how the film is Peckinpah's most personal film, um, and it deals with um, his most uh, the film he had the most control over when he was able to do it. And uh, there's a lot of paranoia in the film, and he talks about how that was how Sam was feeling at the time, very paranoid. And there's a really great part in the video essay where obviously they're in sort of the office, and there's a big shootout, and basically they're giving. Uh, they give him a hard time and he's saying this is essentially Peckinpah in an office of film executives and they're really beating him down and you know he's just you know fed up with everything and frustrated and uh, yeah just a really really great video essay it makes you understand the film but how personal this film was for him and it does go into a lot more about maybe Peckinpah's I don't want to say misogyny, but it does cover that as well, how he treats women in the film and, and how he did in general. So uh, it, it's very interesting, very personal and uh, a really great, great, um, yeah, really incredible um, video essay and, and also covers Warren Oates as well and, and his role in it. So, yeah, if, if you like the film, this video essay tells you how personal it was to Sam, this film. So, yeah, it's a top video essay for me. Definitely. That's a really good um video essay and yeah you're right john bring me the head of alfredo garcia i believe was the final film that um Pekka had final cut on so we control yep sure yep. make it go yep well we've got two more topics to go so so far <laughs> it's a it's going well the next category is best box set for moon print for 2023 now this is let's admit it Imprint were the king of box sets this year. There were so many box sets that they released. It was hard to choose three. Suzanne, what is your third favourite box set for the year for Imprint? Well, like you, I'm just blown away with the volume of material in these box sets that came out just this year. Someone has been very busy and very hard at work. Yeah, just phenomenal. So my number three was the film focus, Jessica Lang, 1982 to 1985 box set, of course, covering her career with these few films. I mainly chose this box set because it has the film Francis from 1982 in it. And this is just a totally personal thing because it's one of my favourite movies. It had a really big impact on me when I saw it as a teenager and it had a big impact on lots of people during the 80s and 90s. It influenced everyone from Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain to the Deftones who all wrote songs about, you know, being inspired by this film and Francis Farmer who, of course, this film is based on the tragic life of the 30s Hollywood actress Frances Farmer. The set also contains Crimes of the Heart from 1986, Music Box from 1989 and Losing Isaiah from 1995, all stellar dramas with amazing performances and I do like these focus collections, especially how they're dedicating them to distinguished female actresses as well as their male counterparts. So it's just a nice box set and, again, just a personal choice because I love that film. That was up there for me as well. And the same reason with you, Suzanne. Francis is probably, oh, it's tough because Francis, I, I'll, I'll just say it, I think I'll just say it. 
Francis is Lang's best performance, in my opinion. I absolutely adored that movie. Tim, what's your third um, box set? Oh. Uh, the same one. So film focus, uh, Jessica Lang. I do have different reasons uh, for choosing this one. Francis is obviously uh, an exceptional film and, and was way long overdue for a Blu-ray release. I think I noticed just this morning that Kino Lorber have um, announced that they're releasing it. But for me, the music box, which I was completely unaware of somehow, the Costa Gavras film, it just blew me away. Absolutely stunned by that film. Shocked to see that it was written by Joe Esterhouse, pre-Basic Instinct and Showgirls. But just a, an incredibly well-made sort of costume, political drama um, that was really um, fit in Costa Garvis's wheelhouse of uh, you know, following on from Missing and The Confession and State of Siege and Zed. It's sort of no one makes that kind of film like him. And the performances of um, Jessica Lang and Armin Müller-Star, that was just, just floored me, uh, his performance. So a great collection of films. Well, I'll say a great three films. I was fairly unimpressed by losing Isaiah, but the first three films are um, just excellent, So, and particularly Music Box, which I can't recommend highly enough. Paul, what's your third favourite imprint box set for the year? So I've gone with uh, Central Film Noir Collection 4. This is an absolutely wonderful collection of noir films from, I think, 49 to 52. It's got some great stars in there. Got Burr Lancaster, Alan Ladd, Humphrey Bogart, Ida Lupino. A few reasons why this one really stood out for me amongst all the great box sets, as you said, Tony, that have come out this year from Imprint. Rope of Sand was a really, really great title with um, Burt Lancaster, and it's also got Peter Laurie in there as well, and uh, Claude Rains. And it's kind of likened to Casablanca in a lot of ways, but it's it's very much a different film and stands on its own feet. It was extremely entertaining and um, has like action scenes and it's like a, a mystery. It's got it's got all great themes in there. And then there's a double feature disc at the end, both Ida Lupino films, Beware My Lovely and Jennifer. And those only run at about an hour and 15 minutes each. And they're both really, really good. Beware My Lovely is probably my favourite of the whole set. Uh, there's also a, an interview on there with a film historian about Ida Lupino. So that was really interesting, a uh, little snapshot uh, about her career on there. Um, so, yeah, as a collection of films, it was really well curated. Um, so I definitely had to highlight that as a release of the year for, um, for the box sets. Absolutely. Now, my third um, favourite imprint box set for the year was, um, it's a big one, it was directed by Sidney J. Fury, and this box set is basically a one-man curation, Daniel Kramer. John and I had the pleasure of having an interview with him on discussing this box set, and yeah, we went through this box set, I believe, five, well, I did in five days, and it was a, it was a, it was a chore. But as I said earlier previously, Sheila Levine is Dead and Living in New York is my favourite from this box set. Like the movies 
Little Faust and Big Holsey, that's probably my least favourite from this collection. But watching the career of Sidney J. Fury is it's just amazing. And these and these films have different kind of genres. Like um, The Lawyer, great film. Um, Hit, it was a slow-moving crime drama, but it, but it, it was really good. But The Boys and Company C, the original, well, the original Full Metal Jacket, okay, that's all we'll say that. But Sheila Levine is Living New York is hands down my favourite from that set. So number three goes to directed by Sidney J. Fury. Um, John, what's your third favourite? Yeah, uh, so many box sets this year, but I think this is my third favourite. As soon as it was announced, I was really excited to get it in my hands, and uh, it's the Adventure Collection. Uh, this is Tales of Adventure Collection 1, hopefully the first of many. Uh, as you can see, there's a Volume 2 coming. But yeah, just the whole concept of these lavish sort of Technicolor films from the era of, um, you know, sort of exotic adventures of the time in uh, the Middle East um, with, you know, uh, so it includes Arabian Nights, Desert Hawk, Thousand One Nights, Zarek and Omar. Um, Kiam, and uh, it's just the whole. I actually binged through. I watched them all in um, over a series of two nights, and back to back, they were just so much fun. Some were uh, there's one with Phil Silvers um, in um, A Thousand One Nights that was very comedic, uh, and then there's obviously Robin Nights, Desert Hawk. There's romance. There's um, you know epic battles. Uh, so it's it's a, just a like a, a journey from start to finish, and it's a genre I didn't know too much about. Like I'd seen a few of those when I was younger, but this put them all in one sort of box set and compiled them. So, um, yeah, the Adventure Collection, it was so much fun. And I guess that's the word fun. It's just enjoyable. Um, if you just want to, you know, not switch your brain off and, and just, just enjoy something, not have to analyse it deeply, then this is a really great, um, you know, I guess historic document of, of films, the studio films that time that covered the sort of, um, you know, uh, exotic of the time because obviously travel – wasn't as frequent back then when these films made, so it would allow people to escape to these other sort of uh, fantasy worlds that how they envisioned um, sort of foreign territories. So really, really great box set, and uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a lot of fun, Venture Collection, for me. It's a beautiful set, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Suzanne, what's your second favourite box set for the year? So my number two, I won't talk about it too much because I know you've already talked about it. It was uh, directed by Sidney J. Fury, 1970 to 1978. I've only just picked this up recently. I was very excited when it was announced. I'm really looking forward to delving into it deeply. Um, I was familiar with Hit from 1973, but not so much the rest of his body of work, though it does appeal to me. Uh, I just really enjoyed the imprint cast episode featuring Daniel Kramer and I recommend that everyone go back and listen to that episode because he produced and curated this amazing box set and that that podcast just sold me even more and I think his curation has been really meticulous and he has a great passion for this set. So that's the one. Thank you for the kind words, Suzanne. Believe me, I'm glad the two hours and 36 minute episode didn't scare you off. But um, yeah, that was a great conversation with Daniel. It was it was fantastic. Tim, what's your second favorite box set for the year? So I apparently get to talk about this first because I'm assuming that most people are talking about it. Directed by Walter Hill, this has um, three 
just great exceptional films in it and three very very good films obviously this was long awaited it was announced a long time before it was released uh presumably something to do with the 4k release of the driver uh which was included in the set it's just uh as i said there's three just flat out great films in here and three which are extremely enjoyable and uh, obviously it's stacked and there's there's so much to delve through particularly the driver disc which is excellent and i don't know what to say and i probably don't want to say too much because i'm assuming that other people will have a lot to say about this set <laughs> so i'll um move on we shall see you never know but <laughs> our minds <laughs> <laughs> Um, Paul, what's your second favourite box set for the year? Um, so I'll leave number one to talk about, as uh, Tim has alluded to. Um, my second favourite for the year um, is one of the film focus sets, and it's Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly is an actress who I first saw in Labyrinth when I was quite young on video, and then since then, she's just an actress I've seen pop up in quite a few films. And so it's really great to see this little career uh, box set from imprint. One thing I really want to know about these film focus box sets is the matte finish on the box itself and then a little gloss um, text in the middle. It's just a really different um, finish to all their other sets. So it was a nice little touch and that has been carried across the four they've released so far, which is really nice to see that consistency. We've got films from 1991, 2000 and 2003. The only film I'd seen of these before was House of Sand and Fog. Career Opportunities and Waking the Dead I hadn't seen, but I enjoyed both of them thoroughly. Career Opportunities is a John Hughes comedy. It works really well. Um, Jennifer Connelly is great in that. Waking the Dead, House of Sand and Fog um, dramas, both really, really, really good and all contain a great number of special features and one thing specifically i'm glad the imprint have done is they've included a book in the box set as well which contains some great writing some great stills so just a really nice um, piece of uh, content that's come together to to celebrate um, jennifer Connolly and her, her career and her films and as i say there's some great special features in there and i really enjoy all of these films so i'm really glad to have this um, in the collection well, my second favourite box set for the year is Tales of Adventure Collection 1. When this was announced, it was great news. I love adventure films, especially from the 40s. And as I said earlier, with Sabu, you know, with, um, with Jungle Book and Thief of Baghdad, I, I, I grew up with those films. I loved every one of them. But for me, the highlight for this film is A Thousand and One Nights. So funny. So much fun. And it was it was it was just highly entertaining all the way through. All these films are entertaining, and um, of course, the Arabian Nights is the most well known, but very popular one. But to me, A Thousand One Nights was my favourite from this set. So yeah, this is my second favourite boxer for the year: Tales of Adventure Collection One. John, what's your second favourite boxer for the year? Yes, so we'll see some overlap here, but uh, for me, it's uh, yeah, the Sydney J Fury box set. Once again, because uh, I saw the the films in the box and I thought about it, but then yes, when we did interview, um, you know, Daniel Kramer, and it gave me an extra layer of appreciation for the set because of how personal it is to him, and obviously his youth and growing up and discovering Sidney J. Fury films, and personally his journey in life and who he, you know, 
came today as a film critic and very fascinating conversation we had with um with him and so yeah look it's i didn't know much all i knew is sydney j fury did that you know superman 4 movie and uh in the entity the horror film that that's all i really knew and then um this box set was an eye-opener because discovered that he was part of the uh you know the new wave of films in in hollywood um even though he was a canadian filmmaker so yeah look uh, all the films are great. You know, The Lawyer, uh, I really enjoyed. Um, start off with a bang. Little false and Big Holsey, same. I was a bit, it's okay. Uh, but then you get into Hit, which is, um, you know, an assemble cast, incredible cast, get, bring them together for this this sort of epic mission. But once again, it, it's it's not your typical, it looks like an action film, but it's more of a subtle uh, film that builds and the characters develop over it. So it's a really great film. Once again, uh, Sheila Levine is a top film for me, an incredible discovery from this box set. And once again, seeing Roy Schneider in a more, once again, more subtle role, more soft romantic role, uh, is something I never really <laughs> seen him in before. So it was really great. And obviously, Boys and Company C, which um, was an eye opener compared to Full Metal Jacket. So just a great box set, labor of love, and the fact that um, Daniel put this together and worked with Imprint. So, um, you know, years in the making this box set. So it's definitely a top pick for me. Um, yeah, absolutely love it. Absolutely. Daniel's passion is all over this box set, hands down. <laughs> Suzanne, what's your top box set for the year? It's already been mentioned a few times, but Head and Shoulders for me is Tales of Adventure, Volume 1, because like John said, it's just so much fun. I just love these kinds of movies. I had also had a lot of fun joining you all, as well as Aaron West of Criterion now, to discuss the set on the April imprint cast, and I love talking about it because I'm really into these kinds of films. And there I outlined the sand and sandals subgenre of the adventure swashbuckler film in that episode. And I mentioned that these are typically undervalued and overlooked genres these days. And they're usually relegated in the past to poor DVD and grey market releases. So I was absolutely delighted with this set shining new light on these films with fabulous restorations, extras, the beautiful packaging. It's just a really lovely set. And these are the kinds of films that remind me of weekend afternoons as a child because they'd often show these kinds of films during the daytime. And you'd sit there quite captivated because they really capture your heart. They're very big, colourful gorgeous escapist spectacles and just to reiterate what John said if you're just looking for something relaxing and entertaining very engaging quite action-filled stunning production this is just very enjoyable set very easy to watch it's a beautiful set absolutely so Tim what's your number one pick um Everyone talked about this already, the directed by Sidney J. Fury. Fantastic collection of films. Um, as has been said many times, you know, it was a labour of love and I'd listened to that podcast and it was excellent. I had already seen everything in the set before I listened to it, but it made me go back and revisit some of the, the supplements. And like Tony, Sheila Levine is dead and living in New York is one of my favourite discoveries for the year. Absolutely fantastic film. 
I have a 63-disc Johnny Cash box set, and I'd worked my way through that over the years, and I'd always wondered about the little Faust and Big Halsey soundtrack that was in there, and it was great to finally see what that soundtrack was all about is having this disc for years and listening to it over and over and loving the music but actually getting that context was uh excellent and yeah i don't think i need to talk about it more i think i liked hit more than most as well but um it was a it's an excellent collection of films and an excellent package all around so that's my favorite box set of the year from imprint it was a damn good one Absolutely. Paul, I think you mentioned it already, but um, you gave a little bit of a hint. What's your favourite box set for the year of 2023? Favourite box set of the year by far, uh, directed by Walter Hill. As Tim said, basically all good films, they're all great. And it was interesting when this was announced so long ago with no pre-order up that we kind of had to wait to see what was going to happen with it. And then it was announced that uh, the driver inside was going to get a 4K as well. Um, so I'm so glad that they they included that. Um, it was worth the wait because uh, to get that locally in this set was fantastic. One thing I really liked about delving through this box set, which I did like fairly quickly, is that each of the films are almost very simple. Uh, Walter Hill kind of takes very simple plots and yet they're so engaging and so interesting and there's more to them, there's more subtext to them and they're so extremely well made and he just cares about everything. He cares about the actors he chooses, the locations he chooses. There's interviews with him, I think, on nearly every release here where he talks about the films and you can tell he just loves um, the, the art of movie making and he references things he worked on before he was a director and films that influenced him. And as you delve through this box set, um, you really see his career progress. And I really enjoyed seeing that. For me, the standout was probably The Driver. Um, Not only the fact that we got the 4K, but the wealth of special features that are on there, including an interview with Bruce Dern, which was really interesting. Um, Ryan O'Neill in that film was just amazing almost like no dialogue, but really worked really well. All the car chases were impressive. And a film which I hadn't seen before, which was just like a great discovery in this, was Hard Times. James Coburn and um, Charles Bronson in this were really good. And I never thought I'd particularly enjoy a film about boxing, um, but this was so incredibly well shot and well made. And the the acting was um, just top notch that it really draws you in and there's something about Walter Hill's filmmaking style that he can take any genre um, and really just draw you in. And then especially there's uh, the Westerns in here, which is he's particularly good at, but um, even like the Warriors from a couple of years ago on imprint, like he takes that world and just draws you in. Uh, so I was very, very impressed and yeah, really, really great box set top of the year for me. Um, and I just wanted to shout out as well uh, what Suzanne said about the podcast that you guys did on um, Sydney J Fury with Daniel Kramer. Uh, everyone must listen to that. I'm still making my way through that box set, so it's probably why it's not number one for me. Um, but after listening to that interview and hearing Daniel give the context to Sydney J Fury's career, that was incredibly interesting. So, yeah, I want to say great job on that. Thank you for the kind words, Paul. It means a lot. Thank no you. Worries. Okay, my number one is, it was expected, Paul's number one as well, directed by Walter Hill. And 
for me, the highlight movie for me for this one was Extreme Prejudice. I adored it. I, I've seen, I remember seeing it years ago on VHS, but it completely slipped my mind. And watching it again on this Blu-ray is like watching a new, watching it again for the, watching for the first time. And I, it was great. I loved it. And of course, the driver, the late great Ryan O'Neill. That was a, that's a classic, of course. And of course, the Long Riders and Hard Times. Johnny Handsome, bit out there, but still good. And of course, um, Broken Trail. That was uh, that's a nice three-hour miniseries with Robert Duvall. Beautiful. So yeah, this this film, this box set, of course, is going to be talked a lot. And my number one for the year is directed by Walter Hill. And thank goodness there's a second one coming. And um, John, I'm assuming we know what your number one will be? Oh, yes. The uh, granddaddy of all sets is yeah, definitely Walter Hill. Um, yeah, and I think the anticipation is what made it as well, because, you know, it got announced ages ago and it got delayed and people worried, is it cancelled? Like, what's going on here? And there was a bit of concern because... Uh, you know, they jumped the gun and announced it early. And then obviously, yes, because the driver 4K was coming because Canal did theirs in the UK, which is perfect timing because I was just about to import that uh, UK one. And they went, oh, no, we're going to include it. So amazing. So, yeah, um, everything that's been said, praises about it. Um, some Walter Hill's top films. He's a filmmaker that does incredible movies, kind of like a Brian De Palma, like can work in all types of genres, but make really incredible films. And so this gives you a mix of some of his greatest work so hard times i've always loved the charles bronson um about street fighting like i said earlier praise the driver a film that would influence honestly a lot of um 80s films you know in terms of the action genre and uh, obviously uh, drive you know everyone knows drive from you know 2011 you know completely taken from the driver um the long riders i had not seen and that was the first time watching i i really enjoyed that with um yeah, I had a ball with that, the Carradines as well in that film, that, and that was based on true story. Um, Stream Prejudice, in, incredible fun. I, I love that film. I've always enjoyed it. Um, it was good to see it again. And uh, Johnny Handsome, yeah, an odd one. Um, Mickey Rourke would uh, end up looking like this character in real life. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, a really great strange film but just showing once again he can work in so many different genres um and broken trail which is a, a great miniseries i'd never seen it was based on these um uh, chinese migrants getting them across uh, during the old west so uh, really great so yeah just overall like taking the best of walter hill and putting it in a box set um and obviously uh, you know we, we had the warriors as well so just an amazing filmmaker and honoring is great films and tons of extras tons of special features so this is and just the, the actual physical weight of the box it's huge it's a beast on the shelf it's it's really is a mean looking set so yeah this is a a top one for me so yeah i really you... like johnny handsome yeah i love it too. <laughs> it's good yeah i really like that film for a while i was like happy to see it get included in that set it's a bit of a kind of obscure one but yeah, I've always um, found it good value. Yeah, great, great cast. Morgan Freeman, Lance Hendrickson, like really mm -hmm. good as well. So, yeah, but it's one that no one really talks about, but I loved it too. So it's still good. Did you mean to let it slip, Tony, that there was a second Walter Hill box on the way? No, it was announced a while ago. Was it? <laughs> I did not hear that. No, no, they what? announced it a while ago. They, they had, there is a, I think there was a, one, once the sec, once the first box set came out, 
they, they did announce that there is a second one coming. Well, that's very good. I look forward to that. Okay. Um, we're near the end of this episode. So, but, but before we get to our best of imprint releases, we have to mention, we have some, we no doubt have some honourable mentions. Um, Suzanne, do you have any honourable mentions? I do. And when I was picking my top three releases, I guess it's based quite a lot on personal taste. doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, the package or the best transfer or anything like that. It's just to, to personal taste. But my runners-up, I could mention a lot, which um, I'll narrow it down to the bounty, the eagle has landed, burn, just because they're in that large box format and they're just like really completest releases with different cuts, like excessive, excessive tons of extras. I mean, not excessive in a bad way, but yeah, they're just these really amazing packages that just give you everything you could ever want about these films pretty much. So they're my runners up. Lovely. Tim, what are your honourable mentions? Um, well, I mean, I feel a bit funny saying a couple of these, but The Haunting of Julia, it's just an exceptional release, and obviously I've mentioned it a number of times, but it didn't quite make my top three. Um, the same with Jacob's Ladder, which are two films that, you know, any other year, any normal time, I think they'd be in my my top releases and the other two uh night of the eagle which has also been mentioned quite a lot today that's a great package and a, a great film and uptight uh jules Dassan's film which i knew nothing about uh, i knew a lot about Dassan, but i did not know this film it floored me when i watched it um, a great film um so they'd be my honorable mentions great choices um, Paul, what are your honourable mentions? Yeah, so as we said, there's been some great releases this year, um, and my honourable mentions would be three new discoveries that um, I came across, with The Mad Room, Fear is the Key, and Jacob's Ladder. All of those were completely different films, but, um, yeah, really uh, blew me away, and it was great to see a release uh, of them um, in print, giving some love to the films, um, which... Yeah, as I say, I hadn't seen, but then each of them, as I discovered them, really blew me away. Um, probably especially the the Mad Room, really uh, offbeat type of type of film. Um, great performances in there. Um, so yeah, those would be three that didn't quite make the the top three cut, but definitely uh, worthy of a shout out. Definitely. Um, my honourable mentions are, of course, as you said, Tim, uptight. Love, love this movie. Very good. And thank you, Philip Jeffries, for telling us all about it and highly recommending it. My next honourable mention is Buck from William Friedkin. That, this, I saw this while, a long while ago, and I love this movie so much. But the one thing I praise is Michael Shannon's astonishing performance. I absolutely love this film. And, yes, it's not a pleasant film, but it is a really good one. But, then, but well, one honourable mention, which I will shout out definitely, is the very first film focus box set of Gene Hackman. I have never seen these films until this release, and 
damn, they're good. Especially, I never sang for my father. That was a really good one. I absolutely love this. And yeah, this is definitely my honorable mentions. Of course, all the other film focus sets. That film focus series from Imprint alone. Fantastic. Definitely. Uh, John, what are your honorable mentions? Yeah, there's so many releases that came out this year. You actually forget, oh, that was this year. Like, you know, Jacob's Letter, I didn't even realize it was this year, but it was. So there were so many things that came out. Um, yeah, same with you guys. The Haunting of Julie is an honorable mention. Uh, once again, I, I think it's a great release, and it's a film that they rescued because it hadn't even made it past VHS. So the fact it got a, a really good uh, release, um, yeah, so that's that's definitely a, a top release for me, honorable mention. I also really want to shout out their release of, oh, sorry, number one here, uh, The Orphanage, which um, is another great, really great horror film. Always loved it. And watched again recently, and they included a uh, massive package for this. So, yeah, definitely really great horror film that finally got the, the treatment it deserves. So that's up there for me. And uh, the other one I can't seem to find because I was watching it the other night, so I put it somewhere, uh, Cross of Iron, uh, the Pick and Par film, uh, up there for me as well. Just a, a great package overall and, uh, you know, love the film too. So um, those are my honourable mentions. Lovely. Great titles. Now we're up to the final category, the best of the best imprint release for 2023 for our top three. Uh, Suzanne, what's your third favourite imprint release for the year? At number three, I had Resurrection from 1980. This was a wonderful discovery for me. It had not previously been on my radar. And it's such an interesting film with supernatural themes, but very unique in terms of the supernatural being a positive force rather than the object of horror or any particular evil. It's almost like an inversion of The Exorcist, which Ellen Burstyn had featured in many years earlier. I really love the tension between the patriarchal religion and the spiritual feminine, um, these ideas of mother goddess and this feminine goddess kind of aspect that's in there. And the extras give brilliant insights into these tensions and all the film's themes. There's so much to absorb. And I think these extras really, really enhance the viewing experience. It's a very powerful and touching movie. It touched me quite deeply. It has a very strong feminine power that I appreciated and I loved it a lot. And there was a lot to take in with the film so you feel like you could watch it again and again and always find something different in there the performances are just so amazing and nuanced and like I said there is so much to take in but then you do go off and watch the extras and they give you all this context and shed light on what's going on so that was my number three Lovely. Such a great release, too. Absolutely. Tim, what's your number three release? Um, I feel no one's mentioned at all today. Uh, William Wyler's Carrie. I'm a very big fan of William Wyler's films, and Carrie was one of those that I recently-ish picked up a DVD that second-hand, and it looked scratched, and I couldn't be bothered putting it in because I <laughs> was probably going to skip, and I didn't want to... Um, have my first watch of it ruined and then 
basically after I decided that a couple of days later imprint announced that they were releasing the blu-ray um, so I obviously waited for that and uh, it's a magnificent film the supplements on the the film uh, there's only two uh, an audio commentary which is good um, and a uh, sort of visual essay by a, a wireler scholar which are both good um, and add good context to the film but I, I really don't want to talk heaps about the film because it is just such a, a wonderful film and if I start talking about it i don't know if wonderful is the right word but it's a great film i just want people to discover it for themselves really an excellent film people should see it people should see most william wyler films i won't say all but most absolutely i love william wyler as well especially back in the 30s and 40s with his work with benny davis fantastic um, yeah if they uh, put out the little foxes that would be most welcome oh, yes. be <laughs> someone <great>. someone would <laughs> oh, that would be amazing actually um paul what's your third favorite imprint release for the year so third favorite for the year i've gone with the bounty uh starring mel gibson and anthony hopkins and directed by roger donaldson this is one which Viavision had put out on Blu-ray quite a while ago, and I owned that, but actually didn't get around to watching it. And I'm kind of glad that I waited because uh, I got to watch it on this imprint release, which, as Suzanne said earlier, comes with so many special features. And you mentioned Tony comes with the score, isolated score on there as well. Uh, comes in a nice box with two separate cases, um, each with individual artwork, um, including special features across both discs as well as the film. Uh, another great inclusion by Imprint is they've included a book uh, with writing on the film and some great production stills throughout. It's a really wonderful historical drama. It's got action, it's got really great location work, really interesting cast from 1984. And there's a lot of people in there who went on to have fairly big uh, careers. I think uh, Liam Neeson is in there uh, as well as a handful of others. Yeah, it's just a really great historical film and I watched it on like a Monday afternoon. It's a great film, just pop on in the afternoon and, and spend the, the afternoon enjoying this world um, that is uh, created. And yeah, it's just a, a set that I really, really enjoyed. Um, there's now that one commentary I have to listen to as well that I haven't yet, which Suzanne mentioned, um, which I'm looking forward to now. So yeah, that's my um, number three. That's a beautiful set, definitely. Um, my number three is another film that no one has sp spoken about. And I love this movie when I first saw it, since, I first, since it was released, actually. It was the movie that made me fall in love with Monica Bellucci, Marlena. This movie... I saw the original US cut, which was censored by 16 minutes, which really shocked me. But I'm glad with, with this imprint release, they released a full 108-minute uncut Italian version, and it's stunning. Hands down, my, one of my favourite Italian movies ever made, especially modern Italian movies, definitely. But this movie by Giuseppe Donatore and the magnificently unforgettable score by Ennio Morricone is hands down beautiful. So yeah, Marlena is my third favourite imprint release for the year so far. Um, John, what's your third favourite imprint release? 
Yeah, it was tough because there were so many releases. But these are films that I uh, personally have an attachment to or like or have some fond memories. So my number three, um, and once again, Vimprint are rescuing and putting it out. That, that's a big part of it. So it's been mentioned a few times, but it is Friedkin's Bug. Um, now, I have a bit of a connection to this film. Many years ago, I remember seeing it on store shelves. The DVD just came out. And I'm like, oh, the director of The Exorcist, what's this? You know, and um, I think... Um, I don't know if it got, I think it may have just went direct to DVD in this country, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, I think it did, yeah. And then I, I was blown away by it. And I, I thought it was the most disturbing powerhouse performance film I'd ever seen, you know, in, in a long time. And um, I was just like, why is this film so just you know, being dumped on DVD in this country? And I couldn't understand because I thought it was an amazing film. It really got under under your skin, literally does. Uh, visually, incredibly disturbing. Very, very challenging hard film. But... Um, you know, I just think it's one of the best horror films of the 2000s, the one that's really neglected. So when Imprint announced this, I was absolutely over the moon because um, there was, I think, a US release in Kino were going to do it, but it got cancelled. And so, yeah, I was extremely disappointed to hear that. But then Imprint come to rescue and boom, they released Bug. So, yeah, just a really challenging horror film. Once again, um, in terms of performances like, I mean, this is a... Uh, Oscar-worthy performance here. Michael Shannon like should have won an Oscar, like, but obviously, um, being a you know B-grade horror film, I guess it, it didn't get much attention at the time and didn't do too well, I don't think. So, uh, but yeah, it's one that people are appreciating now. Freaking passing, they're reevaluating. So, uh, the fact that they put out Bug and rescued it, uh, you know, it's it's an incredible release. So pick it up uh, definitely while you can. I agree. It's just such a phenomenal film. And I don't think there's really any other horror movie I can think of that's like it, that really descends so far into that world of these characters without spoiling anything. It's just like gruelling, but just incredible. Yeah, because you don't want to spoil it without... Yeah, it's hard to kind of describe, but it just gets worse and worse as it progresses. Uh, into into a world of madness and and yeah just true horror and uh it was freaking's return to the genre and yeah so it's um yeah it's really underappreciated film for sure that movie was just it it was highly disturbing but so good um suzanne what is your second favorite imprint release for the year my number two was night of the eagle aka a Burn Witch Burn from 1962. I was already a really big fan of this movie, so I was very excited when Imprint announced it. And I'm also really happy that it might be reaching some new fans because I think it's been a little bit underseen in my opinion. It's a super brilliant 60s supernatural horror in the vein of films like Night of the Demon. I also love the fact that it depicts this quite genuine depiction of witchcraft and the main character Tansy's hoodoo-styled charms and spells. And on the surface, we're presented with this view of the stereotypical overly emotional woman who falls for superstition and kind of gets told off, oh, you know, silly superstition. But underneath, we begin to see this idea of women behind and propelling all of these successful men's careers as well as witchcraft becoming an act of female agency. Uh, It gets at this 
purveying distrust of women and anxiety about oh, what are the women up to, what are they doing at home while we're at work. So it's got that element to it. And, of course, we get a fantastic presentation with these brilliant extras as well that give context to the film. So this is just solely a personal choice because this is in my top horror films. And go out and see it if you like horror, if you like black and white, old horror, see it. It's quite compelling. It's quite creepy. It raises a lot of interesting ideas to do with belief, superstition. There's a psychological aspect. I just can't praise this film enough. So definitely my number two there. Could have been my number one any other year, but there we go. That was a good one. I loved I I saw it as burn I saw Burn Witch Burn years ago and I fell in love with it. And I'm just glad they imprint have released it. That was a really good one. I do like the title Burn Witch Burn. That's like a really striking title. And of course with that title I, you know, I went and went and tracked it down and saw it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Night of the Eagle is as has as much impact as Burn Witch Burn with an exclamation mark, but Nah, you're right there. Definitely. Um, Tim, what's your second favorite imprint release for the year? Um I'll Sleep When I'm Dead, Mike Hodges' film. As I said before, it's one that I'd never heard of. Um, it's Mike Hodges' last film. And it makes a, a really interesting mirror with Get Carter, uh, which is his first major film. And so uh, the, a lot of the same themes and ideas are, are brought back. And you can see shots that mirror Get Carter and... This is talked about in the commentary as well. But Clive Owen is just phenomenal in this and obviously worked with Clive Owen and Croupier a couple of years earlier. But it's one of those films I don't know how I missed it when it came out. I don't know if it got a very limited release or was unsuccessful, but I'm really glad that Imprint picked it up um, and brought it to my attention because I'll be going back to this one time and time again, I think, and... Uh, I'll be doing a double with Get Carter at some point in the near future, I think. So, yeah, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Lovely. I haven't seen it before until this imprint release as well, and that was really – it was great. I love Mark Hodges as a director, but, of course, my favourite will always be Flash Gordon. I absolutely love that one. Paul, what's your second favourite imprint release for the year? So second favourite for me, it really did come close to being first, um, another title just won out, but it's one that uh, you've discussed and it is Bug. I actually uh, hadn't seen this, didn't really know anything about it, and I went in totally blind, and I think that's probably the best way to go into this film, because the way it unravels, it just, it really shocked me. Uh, shook me in a, in the best possible way. Um, I was almost like shaking with anticipation of how good the film was at the end. It was it was phenomenal. The way Friedkin really tracks that descent into absolute paranoia was perfect. It's a film which almost shouldn't work in a way of how just like weird it is. Like um, there's a particular shot where Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd are in the bed and saying, look, there's a bug there. 
and it tricks you into seeing the bug which isn't there it's he's pointing at it on the covers and it's just like that how is that so expertly acted and shot to make you really believe in the paranoia you really become so invested in the film and i sit there going this this could be a play and then of course it was based on a play which was also really interesting absolutely phenomenal horror film michael shannon ashley judd amazing um the absolute horror that was struck in me by the harry connick jr character his um, characterization of that was just so perfect and obviously you know domestic violence is a scary thing and it's something that's real and it was portrayed in this in a very real and honest way within the context of the film but also like of, of how genuinely upsetting that can be um you really feel for ashley judd's character in this situation and you think michael shannon might be the person to save her uh little do you know what what's to come at that point so yeah i'm really glad that i was able to discover this film this year all the special features are great uh specifically the discussion with william freakin um like you say john he, he never really uh, holds back so it's always good to hear him talk yeah i'm really glad i went in blind because it was just a phenomenal film um number two for me but yeah loved it yeah just just on the it- car oh sorry suzanne Oh, I was just going to say, it is masterful how you're drawn in as the yeah. same way as the characters are. It's just an incredible piece of filmmaking, the way that it takes you on that journey and how you empathise with them and you buy into what's happening. But at the same time, you have no idea what's going on or what's going to happen. And there's multiple different ways you can interpret things until you find out what's happening right at the end it's just yeah brilliantly done yeah that's one thing i found the interpretation that you could bring and my mind was trying to figure out as i went along but at one point i just had to abandon that and go for what what the film was only and then after it figure out in my mind you know how i would like to interpret it or then read other reviews and see how other people um bring their own take to it and that's one of the best types of filmmaking that it allows you to interpret but the filmmakers have their answer the actors have their answer other people watching it can have their answer and anyone can enjoy it on any different level yeah Uh, i was just gonna say the cast like you said paul it's masterfully acted and you could it could have you know because everyone plays it so straight and, um, you know, aren't we get the camera or anything, it, it could have gone in very campy territory, but because just the powerhouse performances and it, they make that film, it's, it's so masterfully acted uh, from start to finish, it, it just works. So, yeah, it's just a fine balance that Friedkin found with everything. So, yeah, it just, just works incredibly well. And he also did some really good foreshadowing in there too in some of the shots when you view it a second time. Uh, you, you can pick up on shots where he's like, oh, he, he's definitely foreshadowing things throughout the, the plot. Absolutely. And he did say of the film in his commentary, he believes it's his um, most disturbing film. Yeah, more than the ex- well, Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I kind of agree with that, definitely makes a good double exorcist bug. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, my second favourite imprint release. When this was announced back then, I did say that it was one of my weakest Peck and Par films. And after reevaluating it, it is now my third favourite Peck and Par movie. And the release for my second favourite imprint release is Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. 
I have found such a brand new appreciation for this movie. Warren Oates has never been better. This is basically, I think it's his perfect, I think it's his best role. And just the way, just, um, just the way this whole film was shot with the locations in Mexico, astounding. And of course the extra of the passion and poetry documentary included, can't go wrong. So yeah, but for a very long time, this was considered my least favorite Peckinpah film. Now it's my third. Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia is definitely my second favorite imprint release of the year. John, what's your second favorite imprint release for the year? My second favorite is a film that once again, I've always liked. And uh, the fact that imprint came along and uh, not only gave it a Blu-ray release, but also blew it out of the water with a double disc set. And that is uh, Marlon Brando and Burn. It's a film, look, it's, you know, uh, people are mixed on it. I've always enjoyed the film. Uh, I think it's one of Brando's best performances as uh, William Walker. And uh, obviously the colonization of this uh, this nation and coming in and turning everyone against each other. And uh, really a uh, very masterful film and his sort of, um, his performance is, is incredible. And I've always liked it. And, and the Morricone score as well. Um, Incredible opening. And it's a film that, you know, once again, I saw many years ago on, I think, a local MGM DVD, and it was just the the one cut. But uh, Imprint have gone out of the way and they've included the um, actual Italian cut on here as well, so you get both versions of the film. And uh, i never seen that version. i just seen the export version as well. But, yeah, just one that uh, I've always liked, and when it got announced, I was just over the moon, like, wow, they're going all out on burn. And uh, it makes a good double with, um, with Walker, obviously the um, Alex... Uh, Cox film as well, but this is a different interpretation on that. And uh, yeah, incredible cast, epic, um, epically shot, you know, and, and this, the Blu-ray helps for the, you know, epic wide shots cinematography, but just a really great film. And uh, yeah, I was just very happy to see it get a release. So it's a top release for me as Burn because I've always enjoyed the film. Is the Italian cut your preferred cut? Ah, yeah, because I watched the Italian cut. I find myself going back to the export one, funny enough, oh, okay. uh, because just the um, English audio as well with Brando. But they're both great. It's tough to pick one. They're both equally as good because the Italian cut's longer. The export one's the one I, I know, but they're both great. Both great cuts as well. As well. How did I not know that's the same story as Walker? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, they're very different. <laughs> Yeah, one's insane, but well, they're both pretty insane, but Walker's. So they make a nice double. It does. Well, we're now reached to the end. The best imprint release, in our opinions. Um, Suzanne, what's your number one favourite imprint release for the year? My number one was The Haunting of Julia, a.k.a. Full Circle from 1977. And this was certainly my discovery of the year. I absolutely loved it. I find it criminal that such a fantastic horror movie with such a big star from this uh, golden 70s era of horror films has gone under the radar for so long. That's rectified now, obviously, with this and some other new releases. I think it really holds its own with a lot of the other 70s supernatural Films like The Changeling, Rosemary's Baby, etc. It's a super subtle film which makes its moments of violence or shock have great impact. Plus, I do love a good supernatural tale and this is a real 
really nice one. It's also another great example of a modern female-driven gothic with creepy children, which creepy children are always cool. And apart from the quality of this package overall, it's amazing lenticular slip, the case, the extras, the CD. It features that brilliant electronic score by Colin Towns, as we mentioned, so it's just a Brilliant all-round package, completist, really pays homage to this underrated, underseen film. It's one of my top releases overall of the year, not just from imprint, and I just love this film so much. I can't believe I hadn't heard of it before, I hadn't seen it before, so thank you, imprint, for bringing this to us. Couldn't say it better myself. Good on you. That that was that was a great. That was a good choice, definitely. Yeah, incredible film. And like I was saying, it, it never made it past VHS. It was never an official DVD or anything. Unbelievable how it got lost. It's um yeah, really incredible. Yeah, a, ho- a horror movie of that caliber to be just yeah relegated to VHS. It's yeah, it's kind of not unthinkable, but, I mean, people are so into horror and obviously people were aware of the film mm. and people had seen the film. But, yeah, like I said, just for a horror film of that calibre to have slipped under the radar for so long when people just are crazy and um, fanatical about horror. Tim, what's your number one favourite imprint release for the year? Uh, well, this was... Um Never my least favourite Peckinpah. Um, this is one of my favourite films ever made. Um, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. I could have had Cross of Iron at number two, but I chose to just go with one Peckinpah in my top three. I've obviously, as I said, it's one of my favourite films, and I've um, had many versions of this in the past and still have multiple versions of it. Uh, but this is by far the best release of the film. The supplements are just exhaustive. I don't really know what more to say. Uh, if you haven't seen Bring Me the Head of Our Freya, you'll probably either love it or loathe it. It's a film that I think is incredibly well made and it's got its own personality and there isn't another film really like it out there. Uh, and there's this is a wonderful release of it and... Um, I think that there's not really anything else more I can say except that it's my favourite release of the year, not just of imprint, but probably of any one. Yeah, you definitely said that for sure. It's, it, it, I know, it was hard to believe I felt this was one of my least favourites, but now we're brand new appreciation and I now I understand it. And Tim, it was a great choice, definitely. Um, Paul? What's your number one imprint release for the year? Uh, number one for me is a film we've all talked about, and uh, Suzanne has put it all very eloquently. Um, I, could add, I could add much more, but it is definitely The Haunting of Julia. This film uh, was a discovery for me this year, and I loved it so much. Um, I love the imprint, uh, included the alternate title, Full Circle, which I've uh, reversed the slick on on the inside. Um, you essentially get three covers in this release, because you get the lenticular, um, you get the full circle, and the reverse of that is a different Haunting of Julia cover. It's such an incredible film, and I can't 
believe it had been buried either because it's a film that a lot of people should see and everyone will probably enjoy because it is incredibly well made it's got incredible cast incredible story um incredible design the music as we've all said and uh, the fact that they've gone to the uh, effort to include the soundtrack here on CD is um, amazing. Like not not every other company would go to that sort of effort. Each of the special features here create a really great overall experience of not only discovering the film, but then because it's been lost for so long, just you know getting as much as you can out of it. Um, within the booklet that they included, I like that they've uh, included quite a number of international posters. Um, I think even including an Australian theatrical poster in there as well. There's really great artwork surrounding the film and really good writing on the film in there as well. Yeah, it's just a release which, if it hadn't come along, like imagine how much longer this film would have been lost. Um, there's I was also, I think, a 4K put out by some other companies, um, which is great that other territories are getting to um, getting their own releases. We've got one here in Australia, easy to pick up uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, really, really glad that I've been able to discover it. So thank you, Imprint, as you said, Suzanne, for, for bringing this out because it's a discovery for me and be one of the top of the year outside of just Imprint. I just love how it draws you in. So it's like a quiet, understated film. And I mean, some people would call it slow. I would call it atmospheric and you get, you know, kind of drawn into the mystery and lost. Did you find that you got lost in that? I definitely did, completely engrossed and lost in the film and where the title Full Circle really comes into uh, why it's called that as well, um, of the different shots that uh, kind of bookend the film. Um, yeah, definitely found myself drawn into this, um, definitely. Well said. My favourite imprint release for the year is the same as Suzanne's and Paul's, The Haunting of Julia. It's the first time for me as well. I watched it back to back twice. I, I watched it and I watched it again straight away. I I loved it. And yes, Suzanne, I would call the movie atmospheric for sure. No, it's not slow or anything. No, it was just I was mesmerised all the way through. And Colin Town score can't go wrong. And as you said, Paul, how has the, how the um, how the reverse slip of full, full circle? Well, here's the other um, Haunting of Julia sleeve but yeah the full circle title was is probably the best one but for me hands down discovery of the year is imprint's haunting of julia and it was funnily enough when this was announced from imprint shout factory i believe it was bfi they got they announced it all at the same time and the other two got 4k but we got the soundtrack and the soundtrack is just it's worth it definitely hands down one of the best electronic scores of set I've ever heard. So yeah, my favourite release of the year is definitely The Haunting of Julia. Top release, definitely with that soundtrack. I was gonna say I clarify, I don't find it slow. I just saw I guess, you know, some people online commenting, maybe they're not mm. used to this kind yes. of horror. Um but obviously if you're a big fan, like I said, of the changeling any of those real creepers, you are just going to adore this film. It's just amazing supernatural tale. Absolutely, definitely. And lastly, 
John, what's your number one imprint release for the year? Uh, yes, so we'll see some overlap here, uh, but my number one release is Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia as well. Um, just my one of my favorite Peckin parts, probably my favorite. It, it is up there, and uh, like Tim, I've owned many releases, Twilight Time, Arrow, you know, whenever it gets released, I'll buy it over and over again. But I think they've given it the definitive release here because you've got the documentary, um, all the extras, and, uh, you know, we've said enough about the film. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, you know, just Sam's last uh, film he had complete control over. Uh, in Mexico, you know, um, and, you know, one of, you know, Warren Oates' best performances, I think, um, in love all of Warren Oates' films he's been in, you know, whether it's Tulane Blacktop or Cockfighter, um, you know, in incredible actor. Um, so, yeah, this is, um, yeah, the fact that this got the ultimate big box treatment, I was, I nearly fell over when it got announced. So, um, yeah, just couldn't be happier that it's got the, the hard box treatment. So, yeah, for any Peckinpah fans, it's been a great time to be a Peckinpah fan because they've done incredible work. So, yeah, this is um, my number one. It's just I love the film. So, yeah, got the deluxe treatment. Definitely one of the highlights of the year for sure. Well, 2023 was a hell of a year for imprint, especially when it comes to box sets. But all in all, fantastic content and quality product altogether. Imprint, thank you so much for bring out great content and don't stop keep on going we have covered only up to november but of course december is of course the big two boxes of marlon brando and sydney j sydney j fury sydney lumet and um stop it tim please <laughs> um, and um yeah we um we when we, we will be doing something about those episodes soon and we have started doing a direct, a very first director-focused episode dedicated to Sam Peckinpah, which will be airing, which will be posting sometime early next year. Really excited for, really excited to show to have everyone's thoughts on um, on Peckinpah's career. But yeah, um, Paul, Tim, Suzanne, John, thank you for being a part of this episode. It truly means the world and. Of course, well, I consider you part of the Imprint Cast family and love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I you. just want to say Imprint, something for everyone, all genres covered, horror, um, adventure, historical drama, noir. So Classic Hollywood. Exactly. Even, you know, I mean, they've done, like you said, 100 individual films out this year. For most people, it's impossible to check out all of them and every single extra, but there is, I think, just something for everyone. For sure. Well, Tim did 86. Very impressive. That's <laughs> a good effort there. Yeah. Definitely their strongest year, like just in terms of releases, box sets, on absolutely on fire, all genres. So, yeah, that was a really amazing year for Imprint and can't wait to see what next year holds as well. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And um, I, once again, for this show, um, thank you so much, Josh Hibbert, and of course, Vibe Vision Entertainment and Imprint Films for supporting us and letting us um, letting us go on with, sh with showing our passion and love for the Imprint product. And it truly does mean the world. Now, um, we'll, guess we'll, call it, we'll guess we'll call it a day. And um, mm. Suzanne, where can anyone find you on social media? 
So I have a podcast, Laudanum and Lace, that you can look up and check out. And I'm also on Letterboxd as Dirty Pillows. So you can find my watch list on um, Letterboxd there. Yeah, um, Tim, how about you? We're going to find you on social media. Yeah, I've pulled out of most of it now. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm on I'm on Letterboxd. I think that's where I'm more active than anywhere else. So um, I'm my name, Tim Lego on Letterboxd or Lego T, I think. Um, so, yeah, I have a list ranking all the um, imprint releases for every year. Um, so um, I'll see how I go with the next 14 films. Excellent. <laughs> Um, Paul, as always, thank you so much for being a part of this episode and being a part of the family. Thank you so much. It was great to be here and discuss these films with all of you. Um, definitely, as you say, Suzanne and Tim, there's like movies for everyone in print, so anyone can really find something that they might be particularly interested in. And of course, my colleague John, thank you for for supporting us and being, you know, being part of this part of this um, craziness and um yeah best colleague to have thank you so much thank you yeah it was thanks great. for having me and all the best for the new year absolutely everybody have a happy new year thank you so much and um next year we'll be doing quite a bit we'll be quite a bit of content and we'll talk a lot more imprint related products okay have a good one and have a happy new year see you in 2024 Okay, bye. Thank you. Yeah.